It was one of those days where it's a minute away from snowing. And there's this electricity in the air. You can almost hear it. This bag was just dancing with me. Like a little kid begging me to play with it. For 15 minutes. Yesterday I realized that there was this entire life behind things. incredibly benevolent force that wanted me to know that there was no reason to be afraid. film i am tom nolan and i'm mario ponzio and this is episode 20 we can't drink anymore because of the episodes now underage ah we didn't see that coming that's a joke damn it well the fates are conspiring against us we gotta throw this beer out then this teddy bear is gonna go to hell yeah this is oh i get it now because of the i got the name (laughs) um Uh. we'll just jump right into the beer because we have some things to talk about uh today this is a American first time beauty. ever. Yeah, for the first time ever. This is an American beauty, a hazy ripple IPA. It's <coughs> attached to uh, the Grateful Dead, uh, which you know their their album uh, American Beauty. I do not uh, know that. I don't know anything about the Grateful Dead. Yeah, they have I'm a, not a deadhead. They have maybe their best record you know or their most uh, widely recognized like classic album is American Beauty. Fuck this, Tom. Dented. You want another one? No. Okay. Care. It is, and this unfiltered IPA is brewed with a, the ancient heirloom grains spelt to cast a ripple of haze and dosed with a special yeast designed to liberate aromatic hop compounds in celebration of our long, strange trip together. I don't, American like, Beauty. I don't like any of that. I just don't like any of that. What's the IB, ABV on this? I think it's like a 7.3. What? That's crazy. 7, yeah. Where so, do you see that? Uh, it's like really small under the foot. I like how it has the um, ghost semen. From finger guns, yeah. The ghost Siemens. Made ghost it. Siemens is it's, it's, it's spraying all over this. this oh, you, little... have to, you didn't open your lid. I was looking at the ghost semen. When you see it, you gotta note it. <laughs> when you see ghost semen, you know ghost semen. <laughs> that smells like a floor of a brewery, which I like. I always enjoy when beers have brewery floor smells. This mm. tastes like. A slightly creamier, peachier every other beer. Peach, I've, yes. Uh, every other beer I've ever had from um, Dogfish Head, which is good because they. Oh yeah, did I mention it's Dogfish Head? I think so. Okay. Um, Delaware. Uh, well, you know, which is okay because they make a more bitter sort of IPAs instead of this juicy shit, and uh, I don't, I don't like the juicy shit. It's pretty good. The peach is there. 
which I think is was I first I had it and I was wondering if like the, the it tastes like actually honestly like this I'm not mentioning this because of the fact that I talked about the spirit earlier, but it tastes like a non-sour version of finger guns. Hmm. We wish we had a finger guns here. Can we get it delivered? Is there finger guns delivered? This is me typing on my computer to deliver it. Um. All right. So let's move on with our life. Um. There was a, a weird. Occurrence happened this week where we all found out collectively that Chadwick Boseman had colon cancer and that it uh, had taken his life. Yeah. At 43 years old, uh, the world seemingly collectively just looked at their phone and went, what? Chadwick Boseman died? Yeah. Uh, that's what happened to me. We, My wife were just sitting watching TV and she was on her phone. Um, and she said it and then I was like, that can't be right. And then I looked and it was totally right. And it was uh, a really shitty thing. Eminently impressive, though, that he was able to do all those movies. All the, what, uh, probably the only one that was made before his diagnosis was probably Civil War, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the physical demands of Black Panther and the two Avengers movies, you know, and given other movies he did, like, um, was that 21 Bridges or whatever, mm-hmm. or movies that required, you know, a lot of physicality just to. Well, I think do he was that. a producer on 21 Bridges, too, so it wasn't like he was just, like, showing up every day to just yell police typical police orders you know at people and run around on set he was doing all like the legwork and stuff so yeah um i don't know it was weird it was a, a seemingly like a, a a communal crushing blow i mean he was he felt like he was going to be kind of the face of of marvel going forward yeah and then brie larson and well like, and tom holland and that's kind of and I, I, now. I don't people keep talking about people keep trying to I don't, I, don't, I don't want to make clear what people are thinking, but they're talking about like the whole body of work. Um, and I, I'm not a big biopic guy, so I always found Get Up, like it, Get on up yeah. and um, 42. 42, and even Marshall, um, just they're fine, but they didn't kind of, they didn't... They're biopic. They're, they're biopics. biopics. They I mean, 42 is a little bit better yeah. of, of the bunch. But, but they didn't necessarily rise above like the like the second tier of of. Pretty good bio, bio. They're in that like walk the line Ray level of biopic for me. See, I, I like I like those movies better than Ray. I thought he did a better job being those guys than Jamie Fox did being Ray. Personally, I thought Jamie Fox was doing an impression. Mm, I really right. felt like Chadwick Boseman well, was kind the, of getting the quality of the overall of the overall film, I suppose. Um, but Black Panther really turned him into something else, and not just a movie star, but kind of you had this weird sensation that he was uh, eternal. Like, he had always been Black Panther. Like, that he was actually the Black Panther. Yeah. And it was a weird thing to watch. And Black Panther is a movie that, I don't know, I don't remember how you felt about it. I liked it. I didn't love it. I, I thought it was, like, the best, uh, like, I thought it was the best, like, of the Marvel origin movies. But I ultimately kind of just saw it as a Marvel origin movie. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I wasn't, like, in love with it. I mean, it had an amazing cast, and I thought the script was really good and stuff like that. But just was, you know heavy on the CGI, but it did have this one thing, which is it had Chadwick Boseman just owning life, seemingly, for the two and a half hours that you were watching that movie, and then it was weird, you just, when you saw the other Avengers movies, you just kind of kept waiting for him to show up, and kind of take yeah, charge like, of whatever's supposed to be happening. Yeah, when he dies in Infinity War, that's like the biggest shock, I think, of, yeah. of any of them. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm, it's, we're, you're not going to get that you're not going to get that back. Like, I, I know, what did Spike Lee say? That he needed someone that could project Superman and Jesus in The Five Bloods, and the only guy he could think of that could do that was Chadwick Boseman. And it's so right. 
It's like the most correct, you know, depiction of what his stature is in the culture today. Yeah. To the point where that when both of us saw him, we we're just like, well, that makes perfect sense. Um, we, I think we've talked about this like a number of times in, on the podcast, um, and I'm really looking forward to this the August Wilson um, oh, nice. adaptation. Yeah. Um, that's coming out on Netflix, I suppose, later this year. I think I wasn't sure that there was a date for it, but I think, I don't think gonna, there is a date yet. But it's gonna yeah, it's yeah. gonna come out um, sooner rather than later, I would assume, if it's done. Um, but it's a it's just a bummer. I, I mean, more than a bummer, but you know, it just sucks. No, for sure. Also, David Graeber, the uh, author of Debt and uh, Bullshit Jobs. How did he say? Don't know. I don't know yet. Um, he was only fifty nine. Uh, really good social theories, and, and a lot of did a lot of work towards pushing me towards my post work beliefs. Mm. Um, he also passed away yesterday. So. Hmm. Yeah, twenty twenty has taken him taken him all with it. You know, I don't know. I don't know, Mario. Um, you know, maybe one day. You and me can go back in time on our phone booth. We can... Our little iPod-looking thing. Something. And then we can, uh, we can fix some of these wrongs. We can, we can write all the wrongs. How about that? That's a lot of wrongs to write. We'll write, uh, we'll write a song, and it'll just change the world. And, and while we're doing it, we'll go back and save some people that the world should... Will we go into should... a guitar center truck? <laughs> Unless it's Sam truck. <laughs> um, the movie we're talking about is the new Bill and Ted movie. Bill and Ted face music. Oh, I did the thing. Dude, our dads are totally in trouble. Yeah! Yeah! We should help them out. Yeah! No way! How's, How's it going, going Bill, Bill and Ted? Ted? We're putting together a most extraordinary band. Hey, you want to be in our band? Oh. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. We're going to go talk to Death. Is he playing hopscotch by himself? Ah. Dude, he's cheating. Hey, Death. Life it isn't a wild stallion. Let's rock! Be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Yeah! Billy! Dad! How you doing? Well, you know, we're dead and we're in hell. But how you doing? We're good! good. Bill Preston and Ted Logan are in their middle age and have failed to produce the prophesied song that is going to unite and save humanity. Uh, they keep trying to write the song, but nothing comes about. They practice multiple different genres of music, um, multiple different tempos, multiple different whatevers, and, and nothing seems to work. Their wives are displeased with them. They feel as though they're abandoned and that everything they sh- do in showing their love must be done together as a group. Uh, <laughs> And you know they just they they don't they don't feel happy with where they are in life. They are visited by Kelly from the future, who is uh, Rufus's daughter, uh, sharing the name of actually Bill uh, uh, Bill Carlin Bill Bob, George Carlin George Carlin Bill Carlin Bill Carlin. <laughs> Bill Carlin. <laughs> I just mix Hicks and uh, 
Carla. Oh, that guy would be awesome. <laughs> um, telling them that they have until... Who brings them to the future, and they find out they have until 7.17 p.m. to save the world before time and space unravel and everything, all extinction is destroyed. Um, has bef- In the previous films, time somehow moves in like this constant, so they only have 70-some minutes to save the universe, so they run off and steal the old phone booth and try to travel through the future to meet future selves and see if they can find the song and steal it from themselves. Um, Meanwhile, the leader of the future uh, realizes that a second part of the prophecy could potentially be the death of Bill and Ted, and so she sends a robot named Dennis to kill him. (laughs) Uh, Bill and Ted travel through various different points of their timelines, visiting different failed versions of themselves, and till they uh, stumble upon uh, their old selves who gives them a USB drive of their music. Meanwhile, their daughters um, have seen their fathers disappear and go off on their own quest to travel back in time and, much like in the old Bill and Ted, the first Bill and Ted Excellent Adventure, gather a bunch of historical people, this time musicians, in order to create the perfect song. Uh, Dennis accidentally kills his daughters uh, during this um, and in, ends up killing uh, himself and Bill's Bill's dad I believe yep. um, and Bill and Ted end up killing themselves so they all go to hell because that's where everyone goes in these movies <laughs> for some reason there's there's really like it's like the good place version of hell where nobody gets into heaven right 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 uh, they meet death um, who left the band Several years earlier, uh, they settle their differences and they all get back to life. Uh, and when they get back to life, they realize that time is unraveling, everything's coming apart, and they realize that the people, the Bill, the Preston and Logan, who are going to create the song, is uh, their daughters because their daughters are DJs because they're good at arranging music. They also, though, participate in in the song. They are they are the lead guitarists in creating the song, and mm-hmm. they they produce the greatest song in the world. Um, well, it I don't know. The it's best just the song, song that like links everybody else. I just wanted to make a tribute reference. Um, and and the world is saved, and their wives are happy. They're happy. Everyone's happy. Guitar Dennis, Dennis, who's depressed, is, seems pretty happy now. He seems like he's he's pretty glad. Uh, everything's all good. This movie, I, I give credit for having a, a very genuine heart, unlike most. Uh, repeated comedies like Zoolander 2 or Anchorman 2 of the, that sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't feel as though it is reaching for cash. It feels as though everyone involved in this film intuitively and genuinely wanted to create another Bill and Ted and yeah. wanted to be back there. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work at all. Um, it's a drag. It, it's a drag in many ways. A lot of the jokes don't work. They, they, they kind of just... They, they're not un. It's not unfunny, but it's just a. Hmm, that's funny. Mm-hmm. There's a few laugh out loud moments. There's a few like actually funny moments. I don't want to say laugh out loud. It's a stupid term. Um, but for the remainder of it, just kind of settles there. Mm-hmm. And the film so uniquely feels as though it's it's above its britches. I think it's made for like thirty million dollars, mm-hmm. but it still feels as though the concept is far too high, um, and what they're attempting to do is far too large, and it ends up feeling like a facsimile. Of, of the film they wanted to make. Um, most of the performances in it also uh, are pretty flat. Uh, Keanu Reeves, one of his future selves, 
has much more character than the Keanu Reeves we follow throughout the entire film. Yeah. Alex Winter, um, he like he's in- incredibly inconsistent. Some scenes he's hitting all the marks, and some weeks, some scenes it looks like he just stumbled back into acting. Mm-hmm. And everyone else isn't given much to do. Um, the the one criticism I will have is is Bridget Lundy Payne. Uh, they just do an impersonation of. Um, they're not doing. They're doing Keanu Reeves. Yeah, they're doing Keanu Reeves. The original from, Bill and Ted, which they do well, but it's it's not reinventing. The, it's it's not doing anything. It just is kind of. It's 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 a frustrating performance because it's easy. not. It, yeah, it's easy and it's not really. Um, tomorrow Weeman's trying to do some new stuff and layer it on, um, and they don't really play off each other well because of that. Because one feels like a person in 2020, and the other one feels like a person. In 1988, yeah, um, yeah, and that's yeah. that's the thing that that really doesn't work about this film is it does feel very dated um, at times and and feels just feels kind of like you you remember that um that that National Lampoon's like Hawaiian Vacation mm, or whatever that made mm, for TV movie yeah. it feels like that it feels like a made for TV sequel. And that's, yeah. that's the bummer. Uh, this mo- I think you said it. You, you said it all. This movie stinks, but it's it means well. It's just not executed like at all. Um, which is which is odd because they had a lot of money to play with, and I am assuming it didn't all go to Keanu Reeves. Um, I'd assume he didn't make a lot of money. I would assume yeah. so too. So I'm not 100 percent sure what the hell happened here. But there's a lot I'd of points. I assume he in- produced it. No, he did not. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have time for that shit. Alex Winter produced it. Alex Winter's when he's taking a break from directing HBO documentaries about child stars, he's uh he's making these movies. Is that um, what he's doing now? I yeah, the new there was a new like documentary that just came out. Um, there's a bunch of points in this movie where it just stops doing anything. So like you mentioned, when the, everyone goes to hell and they meet death again, that scene with death is like 15 minutes long, and it's just three people sitting in a room. And if you hadn't seen or cared about the other Bill and Ted movies, nothing they say is of any real consequence. Which, which is also that scene's also frustrating because I think the hell in Bogus Journey is so inventive and creative and actually kind of scary. Yeah, and they completely replace it with a hell that you'd expect from any sort of work of fiction. You know, the fire skies and the demons flying around in the giant mm-hmm. volcano. It's no longer like this labyrinth. Um, well, you know, of of night of of your biggest nightmares. No, be because true. you know what's not one of my biggest nightmares is uh, is a green screen, like, you know, hellscape mm. just kind of projected behind me while I'm just trying to deliver lines and, you know, get out of there in time for dinner or whatever they were doing there. Um, which I mean, you commented on this when we 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 saw this that there is there is a ton of green screen work here, no. even when it seems like there shouldn't be green screen. It's pretty clearly green screen, like outside of people's houses, like just shoot it outside the house. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it was a, a maybe it was too cloudy or something that day, or it was too sunny. I have no idea. Wait a day and shoot it instead of doing it on green screen because there is so much of this that has to be on green screen. So there's such large chunks of this that are like created with special effects, or not even special effects with computer uh, effects, and you're just like, why? It's Bill and Ted, just. Do it regular. Do it like you did it 30 years ago. Yeah, exactly. That worked. I don't think, I don't think anybody would be too upset with, like, matte paintings. 
No, 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 just do it. Just go Army of Darkness style. Well, who's coming to this movie and being like, oh, I wish they had spent more money on their their effects? Yeah, it's it, it's noticeably distracting, um, and that takes you out. I think I think if it had that kind of like, either I tried to make it a little smaller, or it had kind of leaned into the hokiness of what it was trying to do that like the originals did. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have worked a lot more, and people would have been a lot. I would have been a lot more accommodating to that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it just felt like they were trying so much and trying to be so modern with that that it ends up yeah. looking flat and dull. I mean, we could there, we could pull this apart. I suppose there's no real reason to do worth it. it. No, um, I almost I showed can... it to my kids a, like a couple of times this week because there's nothing in it that like they would object to. I don't. I don't think right. No, not particularly. There's you, no bad words. Uh, there's no bad words. Yeah, I think there's maybe a couple shits or something like that. Which I they hear a couple of shits from me every day of the week. So, that's no big yeah. deal. But it's just it's just there is that twenty minute orgy scene in the middle that might be a little. Distracting. Oh yeah. yeah, with the dads and their daughters. It was awkward. It was awkward. That's, that's too far. That's too far. <laughs> that's awkward. I mean, it was. You know how bad this movie was. It was to the point where Dave Grohl showed up to say, "Like, hey, what are you doing in my house?" I just wanted Dave Grohl to come back because there, so there'd be somebody on screen with some personality. But he never came back. Wouldn't it be great if, when they're in hell at, De- at Death's house, he walks in and goes, "Hey, what are you doing? In my- what are you doing in mine?" He's got like a duffel bag over his shoulder. It's yep. like, Dave Grohl. That would have actually. That would have been a really great callback. Like, I suppose. Like, he just has a house in hell. <sighs> I don't know. But yeah, it, it doesn't... It's not a movie that I'm going to... I really disliked it, but it's not a movie I'm going to, like, not recommend people watch, because I think a lot of people are finding enjoyment out of this. It's just... Which is good. And if you want to have a movie that's going to make you feel good, like, that just feels like it's a good time to be back... Yeah, if you want to next if, to the Bill and Ted characters, sure, and whatnot, this works. Like you it wanna, doesn't do any disservice to that. It just you want a movie that's gonna uh, convince you to go to Guitar Center and buy a drum machine and a Gibson Flying V guitar, which I'm sure there's a Bill and Ted special edition of hanging on a wall at every single Guitar Center right now. It's great <laughs> for that. I, it's weird. I, I didn't like. I also I hate this movie because I think it's bad, but I also don't dislike it. I yeah. didn't. I wasn't in unhappy time. Watching it, it was just no, like it won't, it I won't, wish this was fucking better. I'm almost positive it won't show up on my worst films of the year list. I, I can't imagine it showing up. It just is. Well, it's not gonna. It's definitely not gonna usurp my current number one, which would be The Painted Bird. Oh yeah, that's my current number one as well. Just well, that's the thing. COVID high five. Well, that's the thing. So co- The Painted Bird was awful, and it really tried very, very, very hard to be the opposite of awful. Yeah. Like, the exact opposite of awful. And this just tried to be fun. And it was fun. It's a failure, like, aesthetically and, like, narratively or whatever. But it's not an unfun movie. Yeah, you enjoy watching these guys. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything I, they're I was, doing is just not working. And you kept rooting for the movie to get better. I yeah. mean, I, that's how I felt. I was just like, oh, well, maybe when this happens, like, the, the movie will kind of pick up and it'll get funnier. And it was just like... Yeah, okay. I just like how, like, with 20 minutes left, I was like, I, I turned to you and I was like, I'm just not enjoying this. <laughs> yeah. It was. And then I drank another Old Fashioned. And then you were like, actually, it's not too bad. <laughs> and then you've been drinking Old Fashions all week until you could say it, and now you're going to stop. You just yeah. want to be able this to This is say actually it. just, an, this is not water, this is an Old Fashioned. <laughs> all right, so uh, we will be right back with... I have to mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do mine. Okay, fine. With Mario's uh, 20.
I had mentioned five weeks ago in the talk of It Follows of the films to come that cover horror and cover the rest of horror and, and the effects they had on me. Um, this is the first of such films that I mentioned because uh, I'm it's spoiling the shit out of my list. Um, <laughs> this is the film that I I came to watch in 2004, I want to say. 2004. My parents never would let me watch it. And I'd seen it, for, heard of it first mm-hmm. on the Bravo, like, 50th yes. Scares movie or whatever. 100. 100. 100 Scares. And I was like, oh, I want to see that movie. But my parents, knowing it was probably gory. Which, watching now, it man, gore's really come a long way. Because I was watching this film going like, it's not that unsettling anymore. Um, it's weird. It well, just it just means how much like unsettling stuff I've watched since we'll then. Get, yeah, we'll get there. Um, so finally, I was able to go off to college, and I maybe it's two thousand five, but I got my Netflix account, my two DVDs at a time, and <laughs> first movie I rented was uh the first two movies I rented were, uh, were this one, and um, Funny Games by Michael Haneke. Which one? The original. Okay. The remake hadn't come out yet. Um, oh, yeah, right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and that movie is the 1999 Takeshi Miyake horror film Audition. Sigharu's wife has died of, a, of an illness. We don't, we don't know what. Um, and he, for many years, just sulks in her death and doesn't want to remarry. He doesn't think about it. He he contemplates it, but it just it focuses on his son, uh, Shigiku. Um, once again, as we talked on this podcast, I don't fucking know words about in all foreign languages so I'm probably going to slaughter a lot of oh, these oh me too man um, I wrote on my notes here I wrote guy and friend and assumed that the other the other name here is the girl yeah that, that, that works um, his son uh, convinces him that he needs to start dating and he starts thinking about it so he talks to his friend Yashu Hisha who you know they get to talking about it at a bar they uh Say some pretty bigoted things <laughs> about <laughs> women and about the state of, of Japan in general because mm-hmm. well, these women these days, these girls, well, Japan's finished. Um, yeah, but they decide, being the beacons of class that they are, to create a mock casting for a like, documentary sort of thing um, to be a part. But really, what, what it, it tends to do is is find him a new wife. And so he gets a list of a bunch of people, and, uh, you know, they have head headshots. Um, they, they have little letters. They have 
you know what the talents are because mm-hmm. he wants somebody that has a profession or a skill mm-hmm. was it training he yeah. says want to pay the piano Pit or piano, dance yeah. because that means they won't be unhappy cuz they can always just do that which is interesting that's a point that i find interesting and a contradiction in this movie does they say that but then they say good actresses are miserable <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I assume is intentional, because Hakishi Miyake usually throws, like, those little jokes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he becomes enamored by uh, Asami. Asami? Because uh, she has a, this great essay, and he's decided long before that number 28, her, mm-hmm. is, is the one he wants, because he's so infatuated with her. She comes, and she's a little awkward, you know? She She's really timid and reserved. Um, mentions having a contract with Ace Records. Um you know, and, and leaves, but uh, his, you know, uh, Shigeharu's friend is like, mm, I don't like this one. But Shigeharu has already said to her how she has such great emotional depth and, and beauty and, and intensity. He's like, his friend's like, this isn't a good idea. I don't know why. And he's like, shut the fuck up, friend. <laughs> I'm gonna do this. And so he starts seeing her. Meanwhile, his friend, ever persistent, is like, well, this isn't making sense. The guy that was the manager at Ace Records has disappeared, and I can't find any of these contacts, and this doesn't seem like a good idea. And Shigeharu's like, shut the fuck up, dude, <laughs> and keeps seeing her. This is like the best summary of the movie ever. <laughs> and Shigeharu eventually uh, decides to take her away on a getaway and propose marriage to her. You know, his friend's like, okay, um, but his son's pretty happy about this. She he, she he's like, you oh, know, this is good. I like this. You're dating somebody. I'm also dating somebody, and I like dinosaurs. <laughs> uh, and you know, he, she he asks her to marry him, and um, she, uh, you know, she eventually she doesn't. He doesn't actually get to ask her, but she says, you know, has has their meeting that uh, after she gets naked and everything, and we don't necessarily know if they have sex at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says that, you know, you need to be the only one who loves me. You need to own, love only me yeah. and only me. And it's a little intense, but, you know, Shiguharu's just a little love-struck little bird. And uh, he's, he goes with it. And she disappears in the night. Tells the front desk man, and, like, I'm, I'm out of here. Make sure he knows. To the front desk man who tells him. And Shigeharu's pretty obsessed and is like, I need to find her, and goes around. And his friend's like, yeah, I mean, this seems like a sign. You yeah, probably don't you need to see him. Stop doing this, yeah. And Shigeharu probably wants to throw a baseball at his head, but doesn't. And he keeps going around, finding things, and keeps hearing these disturbing tales about Hashimi, like a, a couple missing fingers and a tongue being found, uh, extra fingers and tongue being found. Um, meets her, her, I assume, step, I think it was her stepfather. Uh, I, I can never really remember. The guy like in the wheelchair? DM, yeah. But he was a ballet teacher. Was he the ballet teacher? Yeah. Okay. I can never pick up exactly what it is, and my version of this film has some of the worst subtitles ever. Like, I'll, there's numerous misspellings. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, like, I just don't know if I can pick up on things. No, I thought he was. But maybe I think it's she a, was. But maybe she was living there. But I thought he was just the ballet instructor guy. Yeah, I think maybe you're right. Um, and, and you find out that he has abused her in her youth, and. Um, you know, he's, she's she's has she's has some some troubles, some minor troubles. She has a bag too, a moving bag. That's pretty fun. Um, eventually, Shigeharu goes home. He has his nightly whiskey, probably a good Japanese whiskey there. I know, hundred and twenty dollars a bottle. I whiskey assume. in Japanese movies always looks like like milk. Well, have you had Japanese whiskey? It's, no. it's delicious. I mean, Is it? That, what no, milk? Just... 
It looks like milk, I or have, like it looks as refreshing as milk. No, it looks. That like, doesn't look anything like milk. No, no. This is what I mean. Is that like I remember having this conversation? Maybe we had it on the podcast when we talked about the sideways. But I remember having it a lot when I saw sideways. Is that it looked like it looked thick and like mm, rich got it, got it, got and yeah, you know, like not not like a not like a thin alcohol that's gonna burn your throat. Like something that's gonna like. Go down easy, and that's delicious. And, I mean, that's, you know, that describes Japanese whiskey. It's very warm. Is it okay? And it's got like a, a lot of cinnamon notes. I always find. I just remember when I was like starting. I tried to drink. Did you want? Do you want to lose? I, mean, I might as well grab one okay. for now. I probably. I remember when I was tried starting to drink, or I tried to start drinking wine after Sideways, and I was just like, I would drink it, and I'd be like, "This is tastes another dent." It's weird because mine don't have any dents. Oh, yours does have a little bit. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway, it just I just but it looked they, oh, the alcohol all looked so good in this movie. No, that's what I noticed. Uh, but he goes home and drinks his 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 nightly uh, whiskey. Little does he know that you know Sami has been there earlier and saw the picture of his wife, his dead wife, and was like, "This motherfucker." Did and she also she, talk to the woman that he slept with once, like the secretary or something in his office? Do you think? I don't think I don't think you, you ever think see so? that. Okay, I don't know. Poor secretary. I know she has. She's she has her life is tough. She seems. She seems pleasant. She's cute. She's very nice. She's good at her job. He just didn't. He I would. I would have. He doesn't want to start I, a life with her. I would have dated the secretary. He doesn't want to date someone. He wants a wife. He, I would have. I mean, that, you don't just jump in the marriage, Tom. Just, is this what you did? Is this what you did? <laughs> you just jump in the marriage? Oh, it's it's all coming. Anyways, she drugs his drink. And uh, he has a bunch of hallucinations um, where he sees some crazy images. Uh, but eventually he comes to, you know, and some of the things that he finds out are like the thing in that bag is a, I can only assume that missing records executive um, who was missing his fingers and his tongue and likes to drink milk out of a, a cat bowl, dog bowl. Drink vomit. Oh, right. Vomit. Yeah, it's vomit. Jesus. I'm out of it today. What is wrong with me? Jeez, uh, I don't know. You um, have to stop working out. That's the, that's the solution. Uh, and, you know, she paralyzes um, Shugaharu. And at this time, he's probably like, my friend. My friend's probably right on this one. But you know what? I'm gonna he see, seems committed. I'm going to see where this goes, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she starts putting needles in his eyes. It's like, well, I didn't agree this VDS and play, but whatever. <laughs> and then eventually she, um, you know, saws off his left foot with a, with a wire saw. Mm-hmm. Much like she killed her ballet teacher with that wire saw as well, um, and that's that's no fun. No, it's not. Pleasant. No, it's not. His son comes home. He was he was going to go off to a a friend's house, but the friend got apparently terribly sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like recalled it. Like uh, when I I never picked it up before, but he said like, yeah, my friend got sick all of a sudden. And recalled the ambulance. I'm like, what the fuck happened <laughs> yeah. to, this, to the friend? <laughs> Jesus, that's another movie over there. I know. Um, and, you know, she chases around the sun with a bottle of mace, kind of, like, threatening spray at him, not mm-hmm. really spraying him. And eventually the sun kicks her down a staircase. And by kicks her down a staircase, I mean he fucking punts her yeah. down a staircase. She goes flying. She doesn't hit a single step. Mm-mm. She just flies and cracks her neck, breaks her neck, and uh, she sits there kind of whispering to him, the Shiguharu, and he's like, well, I mean, maybe I can make this work. If mm-hmm. she doesn't die. Oh, no. She's, she's dead. She's going to die. Uh, yeah, when I watched this, it was it was so intensely different than anything 
I never really seen Asian cinema mm. to any big degree at this point. I think like my real introduction to Asian cinema at this point had been like Crouch Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Raised the Red Lantern. Mm. Um, yeah, I had seen like Ran, which I enjoyed, before, you know, early in high school. Um, but I never really got like deeply into Kurosawa at this. Like I didn't chase down any other Kurosawas. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie just felt inherently different to me it just had this this different pulse to it it had this different vibe mm-hmm. going on um it starts out like like a like a romantic comedy in a way and and carries that for the first like 40 minutes there's little ebbs and hints that there's something kind of not right with this woman mm-hmm. but uh it doesn't really fully say that um but then it, it 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 doesn't ever it has it doesn't ever have that turn. It kind of does with like the, when the bag moves. You're like whoa, but mm. it kind of slowly turns and slowly crescendos down and down and down. I guess that's not really a crescendo when you go down, but it does. Well, that. yeah, I mean, I know what you mean. Though. It reaches its peak and just drops and drops, and eventually you're in this pit of you know guy eating vomit out of a bowl and a dude getting needles in his eye and getting his legs slowly sawn off and a tongue wriggling on the ground and women being burnt with objects and it, you f- realize that it's not like a sudden shocking turn it's it's made sense mm-hmm. um and at the time it was it was a fantastically like brutal film it was like one of the more brutal films i had seen just in its commitment to slow shown torture yeah yeah, yeah. um that, that quickly got kind of squashed by other films that kind of, <laughs> from Miyuki himself, like, I would go on to see, like, Ichi the Killer and Dead or Alive. Uh, and those kind of take that to the nth degree. And then, you know, this is the year before. I saw this, like, the year or two before Eli Roth dropped Hostile on mm. us. Um, and, you know, saw two was about ready to come out. So, like, the first saw I hadn't really dwelled in the torture, but the saw was about ready to become the torture king um so it's so it's lost a lot of the impact and i think if somebody sees it today like maybe the vomit aspect of it um would be repulsive but i don't think like most of the other stuff would be as shocking but it was really shocking but the thing that that got to me was just this slow turn and how natural it felt that it didn't need to feel like it needed to play many tricks the one trick it really plays is that moving bag or some of the hallucinations but it felt as though it completely earned its getting from a place of complete sorrow over a wife's death and learning to get over it, you know, with that music, the way the music plays, being it's a great music, comedy. great soundtrack, yeah. Yeah, and just, you know, the, the communication and the love that the friend isn't necessarily sure of, and he's kind of giving hints, and, you know, but like, oh, I can't, don't, doesn't matter, and usually, like, you can expect... You know, a film that's going to make that turn uh-huh. to have, like, big hints early on that this woman's trouble, you know? You would see the tongue in a fridge in the first act. Um, and this film, for me, opened up that doorway to, to introduce me to, to Asian film, to introduce me to, um, you know, Asian horror, a, a Asian extreme horror. I'd, like, get three extremes and all the other text, uh, Takeshi Miyake films after this. Um, that would lead me to things like I Saw the Devil and uh, the, the Vengeance trilogy, mm-hmm. um, you know, Old Boy Sympathy and Lady Vengeance. Um, it would open up all these doors and it would eventually lead to like me like pursuing the Kurosawa films. And, you know, it just, 
weirdly is the movie that makes me go like, oh, I need to pay attention. I mean, I, I respected why I'd seen of Asian cinema, but I never felt compelled to chase mm-hmm. Asian cinema. And this is the film because it's that it's a horror, and because it's a horror in a brand new way that I'd ever seen before. Uh-huh. It made me go like, oh, I want to see more of this. Not necessarily this film, but I want to see more of the extremity by which they're unfazed to go to um, the story choices that are unheard of in American kind of our European film mm-hmm. at this point uh, at that point you know and it just it, it helped to this movie helped to greatly expand mm-hmm. my film vocabulary and I think actually it's a great kind of introduction to well at least for like somebody that would be a really big genre fan uh, introduction because it's it's so palpable. I think something like Itchy the Killer, or even like I Saw the Devil. Um, Itchy the Killer is just too extreme, and like something like I Saw the Devil hues too closely to being similar to an American movie. Um, well, and it, it really it uh, it's um, realism makes hmm. it uh, like a, a more visceral watch. Yeah. Than than this, I think. Yeah, this is ultimately disturbing. But it's still kind of fun. Mm-hmm. It's still kind of just a fun horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so this this is kind of the movie that that brings that brings it to me. Well, that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. In you know, having spent enough as much time with you and with your list as I have, this is your first time watching it. right? So this is my first time watching it, and I encountered it in the same manner that you did. As I was home one day, I was doing some shit in my parents' basement because I was still living at home when this first aired, and I was watching. Was this on Bravo, right? Yeah, the Bravo. So it was on Bravo. So on Bravo in the early 2000s, they didn't have very many shows. So when they would air a show, there was marathons all the time of the show. So I remember watching all five of these episodes in a row. Just one one afternoon into evening on Bravo, I watched the you know, 100 Greatest Scares and you know movie history, blah, 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 blah. And this was number 11, I think? And the the list is actually yeah, I'm trying to find it right now. The list is actually pretty obvious in a lot of ways. You know, you got your Hellraisers and your Halloweens and your Friday the Thirteenth and your Hellraisers Nightmare on Elm Streets and also well, yeah, Hell- Jaws tops the list, then. right? Which is like, come on, um, Jaws doesn't. I mean, the Hellraisers. Sorry, I'm one of those people that doesn't think Jaws is a horror movie. No, we talked about that. Uh, le- yeah, this is eleven. Wait until Dark is beats it. So choice. I, the the clip that you know they had people talking about it you know they and everyone that was talking about it was like what the fuck is this this movie blah 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 and I was like okay let me see some movie and they showed the scene where the phone rings and she's naked and just sitting there slouched over in that kind of desolate rundown room with a burlap sack and then all of a sudden the fucking sack turns over with this horrible sound and I was like oh. I couldn't even. I was like, I also I want to see that movie, and I also really don't want to see that movie yeah, because exactly. then the stills they showed after that were like of her with the the cords in her hand and her kind of knelt over a foot and like all this other stuff. And no graphic violence, but just like it put it in your head like this is gonna be some fucked up shit. But yeah. I didn't know how it was gonna be fucked up. So when I went into the watching this movie, I had. 15 years of anticipation, kind of just like waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, it was a movie that I would never really, I wanted to see it, but I was also like, I'm okay if I don't and, see And you've it seen movie. it, and you've seen it after, I mean, this is kind of the influence on the torture porn, mm. quote unquote, genre. And I'd seen a bunch of those movies yeah. and found them. I mean, some of them have been on my list. Right. And, uh, well, I saw The Devil was on your list. Uh, I saw, the, not really torture porn. The closest where he gets 
I guess the guest. That's a, I don't really have a lot of torture porn on my list. Because you didn't see um, uh, your next, right? No. Yeah, because we just, yeah. That's, that would be the closest to a torture porn film, though. Yeah, the, so. um, the... Saw does show up in my, like, 150s, though. What does? Saw. Oh, okay. The but that's the thing. I didn't find Saw very... In- I didn't find those movies very interesting because they just seemed ridiculous. I just liked the twist in the first Saw. And, like, I saw... And Charlie Corse's score. Yeah, and Hostel 2. I remember everyone freaking out about Hostel 2, and I was like, eh, you know... It's like that dick is mean. That dick is plastic, and it's yeah, in that end when they kill yeah. that when they slice the girl open in the tub. Yeah, that, like, that's, I, that's why I tuned out. I was like, "This is just, just mean. mean." Yeah, but even like the Green Inferno and and all that other stuff, I was like, "Yeah, okay." Like it is what it is. Like I know it's fake. Um. So, but I was in uh, your list has been informative to me because I've been You're welcome. My horror things have come. The things that I find horrible are like the Von Trier movies, as as we've talked about, like you know, uh, Antichrist and stuff like that. Emotional violence, really? emotional violence, emotional horror. I, I want the horror to be more grounded mm. in like a real thing, and I also want it to be attached to a metaphor. The novelist in me wants it to not just be free floating violence. That's one of the reasons I loved. I saw the devil. Was because it was all attached to this kind of like degradation of a soul. Yeah, you know what I mean. And even though that's kind of framed like this this pseudo superhero movie where there's this one guy who's just great at everything, and there's a killer who can withstand well, everyone, everyone everything. Said, everyone said it's basically James Bond versus Jason. Mm. Is I saw the devil, and it fucking kicks ass. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like you 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 feel the rush of every moment that happens in that movie. Yeah. So I got to audition, Mario, and I was primed. Primed all the way up. And I don't think off- it's on Amazon Prime. No, no, no. It was on... <laughs> where did I see it? I don't remember. I think I got it off of... Is it on Shutter? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't uh, remember. It was a free trial. I, I, have, I have the disc. And I loved the first however many minutes until she starts torturing him. I loved it. I was like... This movie's like great. even when he's drugged and all happening hallucinations and all. That? Yeah, because I didn't know what it was. Yeah, and then she starts torturing him, and I'm like, "Cool, I don't care about this torturing. I'm actually sad that this is happening now because everything else up to this point was so like intense, mm-hmm. and this seems intense. Also, it was like the needles were getting to me a little bit, but like the foot, the foot thing was kind of cringy, but it wasn't like ruining my day. Yeah. I actually agree with you in that I've always thought, I love this movie, but I always thought it should end when she's about, when she says you're going to feel everything. And like pull, maybe puts the first needle in and says like deeper, deeper, and then we end it. I think if you end it there. Right, because right after. makes it like go like, your head's like, oh, could you see, like seeing the guy come out of the bag and drink the vomit, which for some reason I thought was milk because I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> um. I knew it was vomit, but I don't know why I said milk this time. Um, You're overthinking long week, it. Long week, uh, You know, you see that, that's horrific. Like, just the entire, mm. the way he comes out, and the finger, like the CGI, or stop motion finger moving. Like, and just, you know the result, but you don't know how it got there. And I think if you just end it when she's starting it, it's like, oh. And it feels weirdly justified if that happens, too. And it also leaves a lot of, it leaves a lot of doors open for, like, what the fuck is the happening. sequel? But then, no, yeah. But then, she's torturing him, and then there's that weird chunk of scenes where they're back at the hotel, yeah, and nothing has happened. And now, all of a sudden, I'm saying to myself, "What is real? 
where does this and, and and you see that moment like in the diner or the, in the restaurant where they're like talking about and she like thing. is honest with him and yeah and I'm saying to myself what is real here and then I was out because yeah, I didn't that, have any I didn't have any sense that anything that had was happening in the in the living room of his house was real at all I actually assume it's not um what actually ended up happening with that is um. I remember a, I don't remember, I was reading this, a critic for American Cinematographer talks about, like, it's, it's maybe a representation of, of, like, guilt and whatnot over everything happening. Mm-hmm. And Takeshi Miyake came out and said, like, no, that, no, she got, she, that happened. Like, the, that all stuff that he's, the torture is, is happening. So why would he, why would he throw these potential... Man, he makes he makes fifty movies a year. I know, and, but it was just I suppose I should, <laughs> and that's the thing. And I enjoyed it up to and I enjoyed it up to the point. But I was I was, um, I was left kind of nonplussed by the, by the idea that like none of this happened and doesn't really matter. And up until that point, I was just like, yeah, this is you know, nineteen. I don't know what the culture in Japan is like in nineteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety seven when ninety eight when he made this movie. Actually, I'm assuming it, he made it in ninety nine. And then released it a week later. Probably. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the culture is like. So all the kind of, you know, the very sexist stuff that they're saying and blah, 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 blah. I mean, at um, the time, it got interpreted both as, like, feminist and misogynistic. But it's, it's hard to kind of tell because I'm not, you, you know, intimately familiar. But I'm fine with it. Like, that's the thing. I'm fine with it. And I kind of saw it like you did, like, a really um, slightly off-color romantic comedy. Yeah. For the time. And, like... Then you have this horror aspect of it. This, but it was it hewed to the psychological horror, and then it turns from psychological horror to real horror. But then he's just like, I don't know, and it, that just it left me kind of wanting. It's but, superhero movie because his son's a goddamn superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just. It's weird, but I suppose I suppose this is, and we're going to talk about this a lot on my list. So that's maybe why I felt it really, really, really strongly, is you just you 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 have an image of these things in your head, of what they are, and then it just when it doesn't kind of play out the way you want, it's this kind of really heavy, like letdown. Um, and it, if it plays out like you want, then it's like, it's, you know, what, what we're going to talk about on my list later. Um, but I kind of, I, so that's the thing. It's, this movie kind of was like that for me, is that I was just, I was so amped up that I suppose it never could have lived up to that thing. But like something like The Green Room, I thought really, like I wasn't amped to see The Green Room, but I was like, I should have been seeing The Green Room a hundred times. Mm-hmm. I should have already seen it a lot and I didn't see it. You liked, I mean, if I remember right, you I liked it. it. I liked it. I mean, I liked it till like the until they got to the drug lab, and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, come yeah, that's on, right, guys, drug lab, come on, these guys are bad. But that's enough, the thing yeah. with all these horror movies. That's the thing. Why I think I saw the devil was probably like of all the movies you showed me, I saw the devil is the one that's that I showed me in the terms of like I haven't seen it before. I saw the devil is the one that like really connected because it was it didn't do any of that stuff it like justification ne- or it never went into like the realm of the ridiculous. You know what I mean? Even though I suppose you could argue that lots of it was ridiculous, you could also just say, like, he's a really good cop and he's a movie villain. I mean, the guest never goes into the realm of ridiculous. <laughs> it's burned into my mind. I have dreams that start like this. Dan Stevens and his head cock just be like, throwing grenades into <laughs> yeah. a diner. They just do. That's the best scene. Oh my that god, movie. that scene fucking... I love Dan Stevens. But anyway, <laughs> but 
I but nineteen or tw- not nineteen. Twenty makes a lot of sense here because it, right, we still got two horror movies to go. But are they three, are, the, are they movies? Japanese horror movies? No, this is the only Japanese horror movie on my list. So this is we all have another Japanese movie. When I when I was watching this, I was like, I was like, all of these things are are Mario, like to a T. Like I can see why you kind of I like for coffee. <laughs> Um, what's interesting yeah. what's interesting about this though and I wonder if this is Hughes into the weird decisions Miyuki makes is he was hired because he wasn't known really for horror at this mm-hmm. point like now he's considered like the creme de la creme master of like this type of horror this, yeah because um, he would go on to just fucking do this for like seven years after it it wouldn't be until was it 11 11 assassins 12 assassins or something like that that you kind of like Cuts away from that, mm-hmm. which is a great movie. Um, wish I could remember its name, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> and then they move on to do Phoenix Wright, which I never saw. But, you know, it, this does have a lot of feelings of, like, somebody who's kind of, like, dipping their toe in the horror and, like, realizes he has to do this at, eventually, but mm-hmm. doesn't want to. It does feel like he doesn't really want to do what he does in the end. And he kind of Maybe. circles it with all the other stuff, like this, the heavy psychological aspects of showing, like, you know, this guy is kind of a dick, but at the same point is is still really struggling and, and depressed. And earnest. He still, he, still, he still loves his wife. Right. Like, he still has no desire whatsoever. And that, that opening with that scene, like, usually that would feel, like, emotionally manipulative. But that opening of that scene works. Because his just, like, collapsing down to talk to his son mm-hmm. next to his dead wife is, is a great shot of just, like, really establishing, like, this guy's fucking ruined. And he stays right. ruined. Yeah. Like, and, he, and he's searching out for something. You don't know what it is. You it's know, great. It's yeah. great. It works really well. He's searching for somebody that's going to have that depth of emotional complexity. And she does. He, he's successful oh, in that. Oh, he's, he wins <laughs> that. that yes. Yeah. Um, so it works there, but he also has a lot of really undesirable traits. So in the stuff, almost, you, can't, you don't necessarily, you don't think he deserves it. But at the same point, you're like, you've made your bed, sort of, like in, in the sense of the genre of horror. Um, um, and I think it earns those kind of like psychological marks, but I do agree that once you actually start seeing the horror itself, it stops working as well. Well, because the tongues and fingers, I mean, it was weird that we just watched House. Because all that stuff reminds me so much of House. Like that kind of, the horror here, when it's not her inflicting it on him, yeah. is House level, like satirical absurdist horror. Even if it's supposed to be horrifying. Which is funny, because like when she kills the ballet teacher, it's more reserved. And it's like, it, it's, it's the way she describes it makes it more horrific. Because mm-hmm. it's like, uh, like, this is news for cutting through flesh and bone. And like you don't really yeah. see much. And it's like, oh, that is that works. Well, it doesn't, and that's the thing. None of it doesn't, it doesn't... It doesn't not work. It doesn't not work. The thing that doesn't work is... It's too juxtaposed, I think. It's, 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 it's too willing to kind of let go of whatever um, uh, tension that it, it's building to with those kind of weirdo scenes at the, at, like, towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Where, they, where it's questioned whether or not like, it's, rea- it's you know, um, reality or not. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the, the funny thing is I think like, this actually works less well 
than his later horror films mm-hmm. or later kind of films in this kind of gore genre like um you know dead or alive visitor q um like itchy the killer um visitor q doesn't really count i wouldn't say visitor q, but like you know um his segment in three extremes itchy the killer stuff he did on masters of horror because by that point he just kind of hews into like this gore this crazy gore and kind of just makes everything else ridiculous it becomes just ridiculous for a sake of ridiculous right so it, be- it becomes more of that kind of house well, style did, of, of film and i'm willing to bet that he doesn't have anything in the rest of his like oeuvre that has 13 assassins that has um that looks and feels like the first moments when she is torturing him you know what I mean? Yeah. Where she's like, all that stuff is like, and we're going to talk about this a little bit when we do my my 20 here. Um, I, all, just, I still have to see First Love. I've been really wanting to see that. I keep forgetting to watch it. Is it new? It's his 2019 oh, movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, all of this stuff is canon. Like, Audition is canon now. Audition is kind of beyond reproach, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I respond to it positively. Even though, like, I had all those questions at the end, which I didn't want to have. Yeah. It's, it is, you have, when you watch it, you feel like this movie is. Um, belongs to this kind of eternal order of film. You know what I mean? Like, Audition is horror movie in a way. If someone said, like, Audition's the greatest horror movie ever made, you'd be like, okay. Like, whatever. Like, that's... You know, you might feel differently about it, but you'd also be like, that's fine. You know, like, just like how if anyone says a Beatles album is the greatest album ever made, you're like, yeah, okay, whatever. I don't no, know. I'd actually look at that person and be like, Phantasm is the greatest horror movie of all time. Is it, I'll give you, you, I'll give that? you critters back to college. <laughs> or, sorry, bullies back to college, maybe. Oh, how close was there to being a Critters movie on your list? No, I, no not close, really. Was Critters after critters Gremlins? Is, yeah. Critters, though, I saw before Gremlins. Critter, I did not like Critters. I had no fun at Critters. I, I liked it. I liked the first one. Then it kind of got lame. I think I only saw the first one. I liked Ghoulies a lot, too, as a kid, but then... Like, I rewatched it and it wasn't good. Yeah. I think Ghoulies should, needs to get remade. Wait for it, though. It's a porn parody. Oh, you don't think someone's done it? No, I don't think there's, there's a call for it. But a Ghoulies porn parody, I think, would work quite, quite a bit. I don't know why. But it's one of those horror movies that calls for, like, a porn remake. <laughs> like, they did a Halloween and a Friday the 13th. I don't know if they ever did Nightmare on Elm Street. They had to have. I think they did, like... But those movies, like Friday the Thirteenth, is like almost a hor- a porn movie anyway. Like all they just have yeah, to do is are, extend all those scenes. They are re they are releasing the Friday the Thirteenth Part Two uncut version in the Scream Factory like box set, uh-huh. and people are concerned that they're like we're putting everything we deleted in, and it's like well I hope it doesn't include the seventeen year old full frontal nudity scene. <laughs> I think probably it won't, but uh-huh. um. But yeah, it's Friday the 13th. Sorry, like porn already. So Friday the 13th porn isn't that good either. I like the Halloween porn. I found, <laughs> I found that fun. I had Lexi Bell in it. I'm a, I'm a Lexi Bell fan. I don't know what that is. It's a porn star. Crazy. Um, what else? Like I said, I'm, oh, I, I, I think that, that covers it. Um, I'll say this. Uh, performances in this. I, I didn't even really respond to the first time, but everybody works. Everyone's great, yeah. Everyone's like re- legitimately great in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of of where like what would they go on to do, if anything. Like, I don't remember ever seeing her. And my computer's garbage today. Well, she's like a she's like a model. Oh, well, she was in Tokyo Gore Police dancer, but, 
person. Major part. Um, well, yeah, he was in The Grudge. He's an ace attorney. Let's see an ace attorney. Does he play? Let's see an ace attorney. makes compelling compelling podcasting but it's, it's sad that like i don't think many of these guys went on to do much else like significant like there wasn't like crossover film appeal mm-hmm. not in terms of like coming to america but like in terms of making things that then got caught americanized because i think all these people um and, and you know tell us if i'm grossly wrong which i sure i am because i'm usually wrong um I just want to see more of these people, mm-hmm. you know, and just just wish they got more eyes because I mm. think that's something that gets lost is this kind of like beneath the veneer of Takeshi Miyake and beneath the the the, the change in in tone and and the gore um, is is that this movie works has a psychological drama and has a romantic comedy and has the eventual to extent of a torture film because everyone is able to do that style of acting mm-hmm. at like seven, at, at the same time yeah. yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah the, i mean the performances are, are uh, when i was watching it i was like well all of this works yeah. like these people are selling whatever whatever this movie is supposed to be they're making all of the options even work even the perfectly. kind of like cheap looking cinematography that parts just work, work. Well, because some of it's not like some of it's really cheap, and some of it's not cheap. Yeah, no, and exactly. it almost seems like they're. And I was reading a novel that's kind of doing this too. Is that it seems cheap for the longest time, almost so that when it stops being cheap, you're like, "Holy fucking shit!" Like that's like these these images work because all the other images were so awkward, and weird. By the way, you know what we should call this episode? Brian Rafferty's favorite episode because <laughs> both of our movies are. Nine, 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 nine. Yeah. yeah. I think about that. He does not like American Beauty, though. He didn't talk about audition. Did he? <sighs> Why did he talk about audition? Because it didn't make any. It wasn't part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, I guess it didn't really make an impact until like 2000, 2001 over here. It probably took a while. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about it around like. Mm. Remember that Bravo thing showed up, which I think is like two or three. Mm. I don't yeah. remember. But yeah, the the the. Uh, I don't know how stuff worked over here. I think probably stuff got... It's probably just like music. Where like stuff would come out in like another country and you'd... You know, you wouldn't hear about it for a couple of years because you saw it in a magazine. It's like, oh, we finally got this thing. We didn't have to pay $90 for its import of it. Um, or they showed it at a festival or, or something. Or this band finally came over here. And now we're writing about it and now everyone should listen to it. When was... Uh, when's All Around the World... ATC does that, that take a while to get here, or is that no? That's two thousand. I was hoping that was a nineteen ninety nine song that took a few years to get here. Hmm. That all around the world. Now here we go again. Just I don't all know that around song. the world. I know that song. Never mind. Well, it's ATC. It's a, the band that yeah. did all around the world. Sad. Well, we'll go all around the world back to America <laughs> for the movie that Tom already just spoiled. His number twenty. Uh, Brian Rafferty's apparently not favorite movie. Not favorite I didn't. Movie. I didn't get to that part. And like, I kind of skimmed that part. Of it was. I listened to him movie. talk about the book on a podcast, and he was like, "I wasn't even sure I was going to put it in the in the book." Ouch! Ouch is right. Ouch. Yeah, for it's sure. My ET's name. Ouch. Which ET? The Verizon ET or Comcast ET? Comcast ET. Sorry. All right, we'll be right back.
rabies. She just gave me COVID. <laughs> That's certainly on there. All right. Let me introduce this movie quick so that we can get through um, a bunch of things before we can talk about this movie. My movie is also from 1999. It won five Academy Awards, which is, apparently makes it the greatest movie of all time. Um, it is... According to who? I don't know. Uh, it's just a rule? You know what's so funny is I'm reading about this movie, and you know what movie they talk about so much in relationship to this movie? The American Pie. The fucking Cider House Rules. I talk about American... I, I always think about American Pie when I think of American Beauty. Because, Not because of the name... Because like it was a Mina Safari year for yeah, me, yeah. And I was like, I was a big Mina no, Safari guy. No, apparently like thirteen year old. The two most obtrusive thirteen year old, whatever. Oscar campaigns were from these two movies. Cider House My, Rules sucks. Cider House Rules is fucking garbage. But we'll get there, I suppose. So I, I don't know if I did. I even say it in this part. I said it in the last section for sure. Uh, my number 20, 20 is uh, Sam Mendes' film American Beauty. We're having everyone write out a job description. That way management can assess who's valuable and who's expendable. My parents are trying to take an active interest in me. Why can't they just have their own lives? I'm so proud of you. You didn't screw up once. Oh my god. It's a psycho next door. Jane, what if he worships you? I didn't mean to scare you. I'm not obsessing. I'm just curious. Why does he dress like a Bible salesman? Today I quit my job, and then I blackmailed my boss for almost $60,000 past these barriers. Your dad's actually kind of cute. I think he and your mother have not slept together in a long time. Shut up! You think you're the only one who's frustrated? I'm not? Well then, come on, baby, I'm ready! Yeah, I don't know why this Goo song... Weird. Like, I don't even have my headphones on. Like this is for your own good boy. There are rules in life. Yes, sir. Don't this is real. Why no, teenage like, wasteland? Yeah, they were they were good trailers in the nineties. Like the nineties weren't full of shit trailers. Well, here's what what else I would say is you have the most to work with. Whoever made this trailer and whoever approved this trailer or whatever, you have the most enigmatic, appealing, sensual score in a in, in a movie in, that came out in a long time. Every time I hear the word Thomas Newman, I think sensual. But for this movie, I mean, for no, this, it's, it's fucking perfect. And you decide, you know what? I'm going to play up the teenagerness and the, and, the, and the angstiness and play some who over the score. I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it seem like Chris Cooper is beating the shit out of his son for fun. Um, so do you want to start movie here or do you want to start elephants, Mario? Um... So I think start movie, start movie. Start movie? Okay. So, uh, 1999 was a big year for me, and as it was for you. You know, we just talked about auditions. It's a 1999 movie. We've talked about a bunch of 1999 films. Big year for Brian Rafferty, too. Joe, big year for Brian Rafferty. Um, we don't know how it was for Lawrence Kasdan. Probably okay. It was probably fine. He was doing probably good in it. He watched the new Star Wars movie, I'm sure. He was like, I'm I could have sure. co-wrote that. I bet he consulted on it. I bet he made a, a nice chunk of cash looking at the script. He was like, Jake Lloyd, that's a good choice. You know what? I'll you, ruin that kid's life. You know, he, no, he he's the one who recommended Hayden Christensen for after the when they got past it. And George Lucas was like, hmm, thanks. Wait, to be fair, in 1999, that would have been a good suggestion. I guess so. <laughs> it wasn't until after Life is a House that that, that suggestion yeah. seemed like a bad one. Um, we talked last week 
Last week was the last week. The week we had two or weeks ago. The, the, two weeks ago about Battleship Potemkin. We talked about that class I took. So I had already taken this class by 1999. I was fucking ready to watch some fucking movies. And American 1999 came around, and I was I had a bevy of movies to kind of you know to tackle. And you had your Fight Clubs, which is pretty on the surface. There's nothing. To, there's nothing. To, to think about in Fight Club because they tell you what to think about in Fight Club. I love Fight Club. Fight Club's on this. You have being John Malkovich. Not a lot to read in being John Malkovich. It's just, there's, it's all there. I suppose you could dig into it if you want to. I've dug into it since then, but the being John Malkovich is also on my list. Blair, uh, Blair Witch Project is, is a really deep socioeconomic film. I had a lot of trouble with Blair Witch Project because I get really bad motion sickness. <laughs> so I was pretty nauseous for most of my multiple viewings of Blair Witch Project. I had problems with that movie because it's fucking garbage. And the documentary like they made for like Sci-Fi Channel before uh, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and it's just that. like, yeah. what happened? Yeah. What? Why not release this as the movie? Um, so, American Beauty, though, was the movie where I was able to take the skills that I learned from my film as literature class and put them to work. American Beauty was the first movie that I ever encountered that when I sat down to watch it, I could read it. And by reading it, I mean there's a red door, there's red roses, the blood at the end is red. What does it mean? They play with a lot of, 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 of light. Light into darkness, darkness into light, coming out of the darkness into light. There's a lot of that. What the fuck does it mean? Yeah. What does... What are the, what is the symbolism of the three times slow motion shots when people are touching each other? You know what I mean? Do you stand? Do you stand in the in the opinion that this is one of the best shot films of the past thirty years? Sure, years, because it has it's the least ostentatious great shot film ever. Yeah, every shot is just the exact perfect shot that, like from a composition standpoint, that it should be. Even and it's not too much. No, because even stupid stuff like, you know, Lester looking in the fridge for a root beer is perfect. Because it's not, it's just his face next to a fridge. It's not, it's not trying, there's nothing in this movie from a, from like a, a visual standpoint that I think is trying necessarily too hard. There's some stuff in the end that I think is probably like the rain stuff where Carolyn gets out of her car and she's walking through the rain slowly um, that I think is probably too much. Or even when the window goes down right in front of the red door, that's too much. But that's not his fault. That's a director's That's a director's fault. Conrad Hall did an amazing job. He won an Oscar for it. Um, and then he died. Um, this movie was, like we said, won five Oscars. Uh, picture, director, uh, best actor, which we'll get to. Uh, original screenplay and cinematography. It was also nominated for score and um, best actress for Annette Benning. If it had one best actress, it would have had the uh, sweep. Would have had the sweep. Although Hillary Swank, Boys Don't Cry, totally deserved it. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, I suppose uh, Kevin Spacey plays Lester Burnham, who is uh, a 42 year old man who is living in, in suburbia. Who's having kind of a midlife crisis? He uh, is having some problems with his teenage daughter Jane, played by Thor Birch. Um, 
And he and his wife, Carolyn, played by Annette Benning, who I mentioned, are not getting along. They are at odds, seemingly, about like what the rest of their life is supposed to look like. Um, Lester meets Ricky Fitz, who is played by Wes Bentley, who is cast well for looks, but perhaps not for acting. Um, uh, and they, he gets high, and he kind of realizes that he's... He's, he doesn't want to live this life anymore. He doesn't want to do this shit. The other thing that kind of spurs him on is is, is his daughter's friend Angela. He sees her at a, at a basketball game during a cheer a cheer routine, and he just becomes enraptured with her. And he makes a lot of big changes in his life, and this leads to Carolyn making a lot of big changes. And then Jane makes a lot of big changes. She gets a relationship to Ricky, and then Ricky gets punched in the face by his ex Marine Corps Colonel father, and and Alice and Janie's just. Just sitting there looking at stuff. You got a, actually an amazing Scott Bakula, Sam Robards team up there. That actually makes a lot of sense. That's a relationship that I think would work in real life. Um, one thing leads to another and Kevin Spacey ends up with his face on the kitchen counter with a bullet hole in the back of his head. and Blood, a huge pool of blood. Very shiny uh, in the background there. You got all your awards and blah 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 blah. The elephant in the room. Let's elephant in the room this a little bit first, and then we'll kind of get to stuff. I think Kevin Spacey's performance in this movie deserved. I guess. I think deserved. Uh, I think. I actually think I go for Russell Crowe here in 1999. Me too. But I. I don't have a a problem with Kevin Spacey winning. He, he, or Christopher Walken for Sleepy Hollow. No, I think Sleepy Hollow is a shit movie. I just like Sleepy Hollow. We've talked about this, We've talked about this a lot of times, yeah. Um, Kevin Spacey, I think... Sleepy Hollow is an Oscar. Is, I know it does, buddy. <laughs> art Direction's a good Oscar for that, though. It's fine, but it seems like it was designed to win an Art Direction Oscar. That's you know before, I mean? like, the Burton Burton yeah. stuff. Kevin Spacey is very good in this movie. He's, uh, he's, he was not necessarily wanted by the studio to play this part, but he... Sam, no, Sam not wanted by Sam Mendes either. Probably assume. Sam Mendes fought for him, um, and it and it really worked. Kevin Spacey was able to sell a lot of the. He was actually to, able to bring a lot of the humor to this movie that I think a lot of the, a lot of the performers jumped off of. The problem with this movie and the tragedy, like, I, I, like and the tragedy, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I, I, can I cut in because we're going to talk cut about in. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Um, this was originally my number fifteen on my list. It's gone off my list. Because the reason this was such an impact for me, and when I made this, remade this list in 2017, I want to say. You made it way before I made mine. Yeah, you so were made, you were passing yours around for a while. Like be- six months. Yeah, before we kind of talked about doing the podcast. Yeah. So. I think 2017 sounds good. Yeah. Um, Maybe even late 2016, because I hmm. feel like you, you don't think so? I feel like you showed this no, to me at a 2000- Super Bowl. I feel like you handed me a, 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 a the 2018 a legal... Super Bowl. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, and the reason this movie is on my list is because for the longest time, like Kevin Spacey was like my guy. Like I love Spacey. Mm-hmm. Um, Usual Suspects. You know, Seven. This. Big Kahuna. Um, I never really got. I love Big Kahuna. Kahuna. I don't know why I keep talking about Big Kahuna. But uh, you know, even through like the first couple seasons of um, House of Cards, House of Cards, like any time I saw Kevin Spacey and something, I had to watch this. And this, like, I put this on this list because I think he's probably my favorite actor at that time. 
like like just consistently living actor. As you know, Leslie Nielsen was dead and <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> Oh, Leslie Nielsen. Okay. Um, I'm not like disagreeing with you. Just... Remember how depressed I was when Leslie Nielsen died? I walked to the front from the bookstore and I was just like, Leslie Nielsen died. And you're like, yeah, so? I was probably, you know what he probably said is like, I was pretty sure he already died. No, yeah. Or that goes, that they're not making a Mr. Magoo sequel anymore. And I was, I was just disappointed in, in, your, in your saying that. I'm sorry. But, it, um, like, you know, everything, like, Saul Spacey in, like, I wanted to... Just that, mm-hmm. and this has been multiple films of Kevin. I think I've knocked out three Kevin Spacey films from my list because mm. LA Confidential got knocked out. Yep, but that was early. Yeah, yeah. Usual Suspects got knocked out. No, we did. Usual no, we suspects. did Usual Suspects, but we shit You're all right. over. It. But I shit all over. It. Yeah. Um, and now this because of the fact that like the reason I connect this film so much is I saw this film as like my stream justification for loving Kevin Spacey, and if this movie isn't about what it's about you know the grooming of a young person Mm -hmm. um and it's not to say that that's what the movie's about it's about it's about about... but what i mean is like there's a a portion of the movies about that sure um it's used so close to how kevin spacey was as a person that it just i I couldn't do it and and re-watching this i just felt disappointed in myself for thinking that which is a ridiculous thing to say because i don't fucking i don't fucking know no um but all that emotional attachment I'd add to it, all that, all that strong sentimental feelings I had for it, and all that kind of like love for it, kind of evaporated. I could still look at this as like an exceptional film. <clears throat> Remove Kevin Spacey from it; it's still mass, still a masterful work. Um, I actually personally think Benning probably should have won over Spike because I just don't love Boys Don't Cry. It just well, Boys Don't Cry never worked for me. I think we'll do this movie. We'll end this episode like we end a lot of episodes that have like significant Oscar years, and we will we will tear apart the Oscars. Yeah. Um, but just watching this again, I had to cut it just because everything. It just it's it's too close. You know, like I could look at LA Confidential and if I hadn't kind of like rewatched it and realized it wasn't that good of, I, I wasn't as close to it or, you know, usual suspects. It's not, not necessarily that. It's, I can, I can still appreciate a good Kevin Spacey, a film that Kevin Spacey's in, but it is, this movie is to me kind of ruined by the circumstances. Well, let's go to this scene. And because, also allowed me to put the certain movie in, right. which people probably can guess what that movie's going to be. And let's go to the scene, I think, is that when I. When you first see this movie in 1999, when he and he confronts Mina Savari's Angela, and you know he's standing in the door, leaning against the door frame, and she's just huddled up in that chair, and then he's like, he offers her a sip of his Miller Lite, um, which I didn't notice was Miller Lite at the time, but now I'm just like, oh, they're drinking Miller Lite through this whole movie. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, How much think Miller Lite paid? Good for product that? placement, not as much as Guitar Center paid for Bill and Ted. I can tell you that. At the time, it seemed like two vulnerable... Actually, it seemed reversed. He was the vulnerable one, and she was the experienced one. Yeah, that's how it feels. That's how it feels how when it you first watch yeah. it. And then there's a moment, and it's a great moment, when you first watch it, when it changes. And you can see it. Because Kevin Spacey is a good actor. You can see it come over him like, holy fucking shit, like, uh, Tom, uh, this has changed. Tom, Tom, that probably wasn't acting. Well, we're together. <laughs> now... It seems like... Well, I think it's acting in the sense that he's 
that revelation that yeah no that I understand break. I'm shitting on Kevin Spacey because he deserves it. But I'm going to shit on Kevin Spacey right now. Now when you watch it, you can see the manifestation of a lifetime of, of predatory activity. Yeah. When it is it is the moment, and I, I, and I can be very honest with you, it, when I watched it this time, I was enraptured with this movie again. From the sound design, from the score, to um, some of the other scenes that we'll talk about in a little bit. Until... To fucking... Annette Benning and Chris Cooper. Just owning fucking owning this. everything. Chris Cooper should have... I don't think he even gets nominated. We'll no, talk he about doesn't that. get nominated. Yeah, he doesn't. Fucking Michael Caine, man. There is a moment when that when that moment happens when he's, you know, you can kind of picture if you've seen the movie as many times as I have. You've seen the movie a couple of times. There's a moment he's leaning over her and she doesn't have a shirt on and he's all this. She says she's a virgin. All of a sudden he kind of breaks and like he dips his head and he kind of has like that realization eyes. It was a real-time feeling with me, Mario, where I can see all of a sudden everything post that is an act. Mm. And it's it freaked me out because it seems so it seems real in the sense that not that the movie, the feelings in the movie are real, that the acting is real. That in that moment he that it somehow that it somehow occurred all in real time, and he realized at that moment like holy shit I'm supposed to be, I'm acting like a predator and I'm not supposed to be acting like a predator I'm supposed to be like a happy guy. And meanwhile Kevin Spacey was probably thinking like I don't see the problem here. Well he probably but that's the thing he probably did see the problem because he's a fucking liar. You know what I mean? So he was probably everything after that moment seems like like acting, and it's and it's not great acting. It's like shitty acting. Like. How are you? How are you? I'm great. And like his stupid smile when he's looking at that, you know, beautiful picture of like a family that used to be like together and like was like this and then he gets shot in the head and all that other stuff. All that stuff is so phony. Do you think that's all shot like on the same day though? I don't know if it's probably not all shot on the same day, but now when you watch it, it seems it all seems like a horrible, horrible lie Hmm. where he's covered in uh, in a movie. Because he was doing that back then. In a movie, he's covering up for a thing that like only a certain people were aware of. You know what I mean? And he's covering up with these big goofy smiles, and he's making people sandwiches, and you know, offering them glass bottles of Coke. You know, whatever. You know what I mean? He's like an all-American dad all of a sudden, wearing an Adidas warm-up jacket, and blah 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 blah. And he didn't just take advantage of the seventeen-year-old girl who, and like, and not take advantage of her who personally stripped a 17 year old fucking girl it's disgusting it is really fucking hard to watch and it's because it's it's the encroachment of real life into this film and it's really hard it's really fucking hard and i I, like i said i I listened to that podcast where brian raftery were talking to the guys from the ringer about like american beauty and i didn't know what everyone's problem was with it but they all had a problem with it and i I get the. I, I didn't watch it then. I watch it now to do this thing. I get it. I get what the problem is. It's it's hard to like root for Kevin Spacey in this movie, and that's what Sam Mendes is asking you to do. In 1999, very few people, maybe a few of you did, maybe a few of you really super prescient people had no had like a big problem rooting for Kevin Spacey. But this movie is designed where you're rooting for Kevin Spacey's character the whole time. You are rooting for. Lester yeah, you just don't Burton. want him to make the mistake of sleeping with her, and like you, you're glad when he. 
realizes the error of his ways and, and th- everything. But even at the time, I don't know how you felt with this. Even at the time, I felt it was a little suspect that like he didn't realize the error of his ways until he had her fucking pants off and her top off, and was and she was like, "I'm a virgin." It seems weird. Yeah, it seems really weird, and that's but that's not his but fault. Th- that's Alan Ball's fault. Yeah, it's the fault of 1999 in general. Right. In the sense of in 1999, um, there was this real pressing thing of you know like. Oh, she she's a woman. Like even though she's not maturity what like that was a you know, older man with young young women was still considered somewhat yeah okay. I don't know, but I'm are, are we it, done? The fact that he doesn't fall into it makes yeah we could kind of transition to that. The fact that he doesn't fall into it makes him like ha- makes him have some moral clarity. Makes him have some moral like. Uh, foothold is the fact right. that like you would you would see this and be like you would have understood that many dads in that position you know seeing right 20 year old the actress 20 year old mina savari naked in front of them 17 though you know would have done it and it's like well that makes sense you know she's a she's a she's a real cute one yeah um i mean hell i remember i was substitute teaching here mm-hmm. in 2011 uh-huh um no, 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 I was in 2009. And I was in a lunchroom at a local high school. I won't name the high school. And several of the teachers were saying who the hot students were. Oh, my God. Yeah. Not sitting there going like... <laughs> These were guys like in their 40s, too. Yeah. I was like 23, 24 at the time. And I was like, this so is like 23. And I was like, that's fucking disgusting. They're children. And these are probably guys that loved American Beauty for the message. Instead of the score, and instead of some of the amazing fucking, what what movie did we talk about? Where I was saying like that shots were cinematic, even though they weren't necessarily like cinematic shots. I forget what it was, but I feel like we were we were talking about this where like these kind of close up shots, these like fairly standard issue, seemingly standard issue shots were very cinematic. Do you remember seeing this movie in theaters? Because I texted you. No, last I saw. Time. I didn't see this in theaters. You didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on, on DVD. Oh wow. Okay. Um, so I just saw this movie a few times in theaters. I saw it with um, my girlfriend at the time. I saw it with a friend at the time. I saw it by myself. You know what's shot? I, so I texted you last night. I was like, I am having serious fucking sense memory yeah. from like watching this movie. It was the shot when Carolyn goes to sell that first house, that open house. You know what I mean? She's like, I will sell this house today. And they have the conversation about with those two angry women about the lagoon. It's like, this is not lagoon-like. It's like a cement hole. And then she closes the door and she flicks the blinds shut and she leans against the door and then she slaps herself in the face a whole bunch of times. That shot is just a woman's face against some screen, like a, 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 a blind and with the sun coming in, um, is a perfectly cinematic shot. It is not designed to be seen on a television. It was made to be seen on a big screen. Why is it made to be seen on a big screen? Because the way that the the way that the color, the way that the light bleed is on that thing, is that on a big screen. Remember, hey, listen. Remember going to the fucking movies, everybody. Remember what that experience is like. Is that the, all the lights go down and you're in the dark and the only light is the screen. If you watch the movie and the exit doors and the exit doors. But if you watch the movie on a big screen, the light dies on the screen. And so it seems like 
there's no screen. It seems like the whole room is the screen. And there's a, so many shots in this movie that are, are cinema that that when I'm when you're watching it now are just like the bag scene doesn't work on a television. The bag scene works in my memory as like oh what? Like I'm just gonna sit here and watch a bag and watch like Wes Bentley cry on screen for like three minutes. And you're just like if you're into this movie, you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. And it's gonna feel like the most profound thing and you're gonna wait and look for bags all over the place to just be floating around. This is how that movie worked. This movie worked on your senses in a, excuse me, in a way that not a lot of movies worked, or that I had seen up to that point. You know what I mean? Raging Bull did a little bit, but Raging Bull was really was a classicist piece of cinema. So it was like it was regular cinema feelings, or cinema. It was a, it was a normal cinema experience. You know what I mean? This was a nov- this seemed to me to be a novelistic experience but brought up to the screen. You know what I mean? Mm. Where these really minor sensory things you all of a sudden get to feel them. Like I said the hand on the shoulder the three times watching a hand go over a thing. The even though it's like when Mina Safari opens her shirt when she's doing the cheerleading thing there's a sensory feeling that comes from watching that. And it's not just waiting to see if you can see, like, her chest. Everything seems real. There's there's shadow there, and there's... It's just... It's really, really fucking intense. You seem like you want to say something. I want to hear what it is. Because I could just kind of do this all day. No, no, keep going. Okay. But... But... That's what, that's what it was for me, watching this movie. Is that every single one of these moments... In 1999, I'm going to qualify it in 1999 and up to a point here, was was an experience. Every shot was an experience that you would watch and you'd say, how does that relate to everything else I just saw? Like I just, like I said at the beginning of this thing, it was a reading thing. You was not, you were not watching a movie. You were reading a film. It was just kind of like how when we just watched Persona, you know what I mean, in, in, in our, our, in the middle of our quarantine kind of Zoom call things, we were watching all those classic movies and watching Persona. You don't watch Persona. You fucking read Persona. You no. know what I mean? You, it doesn't make any sense if you just watch it. You have to figure it out. And at the time, American Beauty was the first time I had watched movies that I have to figure this movie out. And it would influence so many experiences going forward that we're going to talk about on this list for me where you go to see it a bunch of times hoping... To capture some element of, or some essence of, of what is happening underneath this film. Um, and on top of that, and I'll end here, and, and you know we, we can go at it here. I was in love with Thor Birch when I was 17 years old and 18 years old. In love with Thor Birch. I don't know if that's a thing that everyone experienced. It was. A, I was. I went. I went the Minas route. It was a real problem for me. What the Minas route with? And we will. We will talk about Thor Birch again on this on this podcast. You know, it's really funny if you look up American American Beauty's Wikipedia page is weirdly detailed. Yeah, it is. It's I'm looking at it right kind now. of obscene. If you look at the picture of that says like it has like a picture of like all the cast members. <laughs> Thor Birch in the middle of three people. Of Tom Green and like who is that? Neil Hamburger, <laughs> something like that. The yeah. comedian, the stand-up comedian. I was like, oh man, Thor Birch. Um. Because whoever wrote that could use a better picture. Um, I thought... Sh- so, 
at 17 years old, you're connecting to who you can connect to. I obviously am uh, I'm a male. I can't connect to the idea of the specific idea of, of breast augmentation or, or thinking you're not pretty enough or wishing you were uh, less ordinary in that kind of very stereotypical, the, the very stereotypical like image conscious way. But I can relate. And what I think probably most 17, 18 year olds can relate to the idea that like there's one thing you can do differently and it would change your whole life. If one thing about you could be different, everything would be different. And you just, I mean, as a teenager, you just fucking latched onto it. But it's the, the, the great thing about the movie, the, the one great thing about the writing is that everyone feels that same way. If Kevin Spacey can just get buff, everything would be better. If Carolyn can just sell this house, everything will be better. It's so easy. Now, in 2020, when I've spent like 30 years doing, or tw- last 20 years doing this shit, now it's just so easy to see. If I, if this movie came out today, I'd be like, holy, that was, those metaphors are dumb. Like, I would probably be really into the movie. Um, you know, maybe. From like if, a technical standpoint. Or yeah, but I would be like, well. The, if the, that starred Chevy Chase. <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk about that too. I would. I would be interested to hear who you, who you would replace Kevin Spacey with in 2020. Does it have to be somebody who would have? Well, currently, could it be somebody from any period of time? Because I, I have a perfect person. I think so. Um, well, I'll think. Of, I mean, we can just, I, let's I, do Dan Stevens again. I no, Dan Stevens would work. He Dan Stevens would be the Scott Bakula character, and you'd be like, "Yes, he's so great." Um, but yeah, that's it. I mean. Amer- I, it's really hard for me, and I said this about a bunch of movies here, and this is this is not like a um, an unfamiliar thing for me to say. It's hard for me to picture what my film life would be like without the experience of seeing American Beauty in 1999. Yeah, and I think it's very difficult. American Beauty definitely forced me to pay closer attention to the overall network of the film. Um, I mean, there's just so many other films that did this. Sorry, it's my foot, and that might be showing up on the sound. Sorry. Um, the overall network of, of a, what a movie and everything that goes together with it. Because mm-hmm. you can pull pieces of this out. Yeah. Um, from the cinematography and everything. Like, each component part, as I say all the time on this podcast, um, is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Is, is, is you know, jacking out the, uh, mm-hmm. the 420-pound squat. Well, the, I mean, the score, I think, specifically, is that Sam Mendes leans so heavily on Thomas Newman's score here. And Thomas Newman's there for it, you know. Oh, I mean, this is, this is for me, is Thomas Newman's best score. I mean, he does is roughly it, the same thing. Because you say, is it, like, hard for it to, to be, like, is there a lot of competition there? Well, I just, I, I feel like he does a lot of the same thing in a lot of different movies. And in this movie, the subject matter and the tone matched his sounds. Yeah. It matched his, his his inherent melodies that he kind of seems to use versions of in a lot of different movies. Like, I know a lot of people point to the Road to Perdition score. I mean, I think Road to Perdition is a shitty fucking movie. I like Road to Perdition. I know, we've had this conversation a million times. <laughs> I think Road to Perdition sucks. But the, he uses a lot of the same score elements in that. Not, Did Paul Newman win for that or just get nominated? He just got nominated, okay. yeah. He, um, not the Indian instruments. But, like, the melodies mm. are used in The Green Mile and, uh, you know, just stuff that happened around this time. Road to Perdition, Thomas Newman, blah, 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 you know, ad nauseum, whatever. Um, but I think the score, more than anything, is doing, like, a lot <clears throat> of lifting here. Uh, yeah, no, um, no, I agree. But it's it's a movie that, 
for me, I definitely respect and appreciate a lot of its parts now. It just like I said, and it's it's a fantastic film. It's still Mendy's best. Um, he has, if if your definition has Anthony at a playwright trivia says a definition of a one hit wonder is to have something huge and then never reach that again. Uh, Anthony Puzo. Yeah. If that is Love the that true guy. definition of a one-hit wonder, then this is definitively like Sam Mendy's one-hit wonder. Because even though he's been nominated since then, and it's had numerous films, he's never come close to the peak. Well, I think peak. the odd thing about Sam Mendy is that he has moments in a lot of his films that you're like, "Well, that was really good." Like but I remember it's never consistent. No, no, because I remember like aspects of Jarhead. I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" But the whole movie Jarhead, I was like, "This is." I wish I didn't yeah, see this. Before. The training part of Jarhead's. Fantastic, and you know, and the aesthetic of it, I think, yeah. is works. And I, I love Revolutionary Road. We, another thing we've talked about a lot off air, mm. but it just doesn't do any of the work that this does. Um, but I don't even think that's Sam Mendes' fault. That's a Leonardo DiCaprio problem. But yeah. continue. But it did introduce me to to Zoe Kazan? So thank mm-hmm. you, Sam Mendes, for that. And Michael um, Shannon. Yeah, that's true. No, did not. Bug mm. introduced me to Michael Shannon. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was already a Michael Shannon guy because I loved. So William Friedkin, unsurprisingly, introduced me to Michael Shannon. Was Bug before Revolutionary Road? Yeah, Bug's like 2006 oh, okay. or 2007. Um, I was just like, this guy's fucking crazy. This guy's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, so he's never reached those highs, but like everybody's working at, at such an nth degree here. Um, everyone's on. There's nothing that, that feels like it's extraneous, nothing that feels like it's fat. Um, even kind of the muddled performances of like Mina Savari um, work towards her character. Um, Alan Ball, who I typically think is is an atrocious writer, um, there's some failings to the stories here and there. Like there, there's some easiness to it at times. Well, they're like it's um, just a couch. Yeah, it's no, just, exactly. Like, why are you talking about this? Like she hasn't mentioned her stuff at all. Or like Lester's decision to work in like the fast food place and all that. It just it feels easy. It feels like yeah, something yeah, really yeah. easy. Um, but like Mendes makes it work and Conrad Hall and, you know, Tariq Anwar and, and Greenberg or oh, Greenberry are able it. to yeah, like yeah. put this shit together to make it like they're, they're not hamstrung by Alan Ball's, you know, kind of easy writing. They elevate all mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it's obviously it, it hit a chord because this movie was fucking huge when it came out. Well, I saw. I was reading the Wikipedia, and it, you know, it kind of crested, and then it went down, and then it got nominated for all the Oscars. And it crested again. It yeah. ended up being one hundred and thirty million dollars in North America, which is huge. Like, yeah, it's gigantic. I mean, you gotta think of the best picture winners of modern time. Like, so the like what Parasite wins makes forty million or something like that. Nothing, which is but is considered like a is a yeah. monumental achievement. I mean, I think the thing that's the but th- to make over a hundred million dollars has a very suburban drama well, this type is, of Oscar movie and, is, is crazy. And this is where I'd love to have Brett Eisenhower on the podcast to talk about the idea that like this was still a movie. This is still like a cinematic experience. You yeah. know what I mean? They're not making these... Mo- Maybe they're making these movies. I don't know. They're not releasing these movies theatrically anymore. You know what I mean? Or I don't even know if they're making these movies that are like big budget, big budget, high concept, suburban like family dramas that aren't pigeonholed upon like release as like this is an indie drama this didn't say this was an indie drama this is a big budget like studio release yeah that had a lot of complicated themes sam mendes is definitely a person i don't see ever going like yeah you know what i'm gonna do a netflix movie 
Like, he's definitely somebody I can... Who's... Like, everyone always mentions uh, Fuckface, uh, Nolan, all the time, <laughs> um, being, like, the, the theatrical guy. Yeah, um, yeah, But I think Mendes is more, like, more earnestly the theatrical guy in the sense that he's not, like, bombastic about it, but all of his films have some necessity of watching them yeah. theatrically. I'm imagining um, seeing Tenet now that we would say, like, it was fine if we saw it on honest, TV. I don't fucking care. I don't care either. None like of once, the once, I, once I heard, like, the reviews are good, but once I heard, like, all the negative reviews are, like, the sound mixing is terrible, I'm just like, yep, I'm sure it is. I'm, no, but you I'm prob- done. I'm, I'm going to be honest kinda, with you. I think I'm just over Nolan. You probably said, I'm sure it is, because the sound mixing... The sound mixing in all of his movies is terrible. And he doesn't, like, it's not a well, thing like, that he cares about. Which yeah. means that this is just going to be a standard issue Christopher Nolan movie. And, like, if Since we... Since 2005, he hasn't cared but about But here's the thing. Like, Batman Begins and I think Dark Knight have... Dark Knight, and Prestige sure. have good yeah. sound mixing. Once he gets to Inception, he stops caring about sound Listen, mixing. Listen, I love Inception. It's on my list. I love... No, know. I think Inception's pretty good. But I love I just, Dark Knight. Even Dunkirk. If I didn't see... I like Dunkirk when we saw it. If I didn't see Dunkirk, I'd be fine. Well, and what's good about the thing that works about the sound mixing aspect of Dunkirk is it doesn't matter. Like, like because the dialogue is so... There's not a lot, yeah. You're so ambivalent to, with, right. to it. Um, but anyway. But Mendes is is a truly, I think, theatrical director. You mm-hmm. know, Jarhead, 1917. Um, it's even things like Revolutionary Road. The His... Um, Skyfall Inspector are all very sure. definitively theatrical experiences. Cinema, yeah, um, sure. and this is this for for what is still could be considered. I mean, it's still a major DreamWorks picture. DreamWorks was like the studio house for big budget films at this point, and it's only a fifteen million dollar movie, but it feels big. Well, I wonder what, what is huge. fifteen million dollars in two thousand twenty. What is nineteen ninety nine oh. fifteen million dollars in two thousand twenty? Well, I mean, I imagine it's still not like a fifty million dollars, sixty million dollars. I don't, I don't think so because I'm trying to think of like, let's see, a, let's see, Cider House Rules was twenty four million, which is fucking crazy. All right, are you so done? Green Mile is sixty million, which actually makes sense. Um, Insiders sixty eight million, Six Senses. 40 million. So, like, this is the smallest budget of those movies. And I, I would say it, this and Green Mile are the two films that feel the most, like, theatrical. Well, The Matrix. Well, no, I mean, of the Best Picture nominees. Oh. Sorry. The most, like, the necessity of, like, the cinematic experience. Um, and, and it does feel that way. It feels big. Oh, and so and it needs to be. It needs to be. What? I'm just looking at the list of best pictures for oh. next year. It's like the stupidest like, list. It needs to be because like that cues into that theme at the end of the beauty in the world because you need to see that. It makes Sacramento look nice, which mm. is yeah, yeah. You've never been to Sacramento, right? Nope. I mean, we talked about Sacramento two weeks ago now um, when I went over to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitively, Sacramento is the opposite of nice. Greta Gerwig might disagree with you. Well, we can throw it down. Really. <laughs> you're t- I think you're taller than me, maybe. You look like you're tall. You probably have some reach. We Again, we should start a list of people we'd be happy to talk to on this, on no, this podcast. I, no, I just challenged her to a fist fight. Well, but we'd do it on the air, obviously. In the <laughs> like, studio. Could you imagine? If Laura like, Kansas is a referee. Could you imagine if she just, like, one punches me? No, I can believe it. 
I believe it 100%. Think I'd backflip from the punch? It'd be cool. No, you'd be like audition. You'd just fly. And there'd be a flight <laughs> of stairs. You'd be like, well, there's, there's a flight of stairs right here at the Pivotal Film Studio be, with you, a landing. You would I'd somehow even... turn and go down both, both yeah, flights. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, like this, this film feels big. It's just unfortunate it has that big black mark oh my god it's, hard. it's so weird and it's funny because like so what the studio did not at all want Kevin Spacey Mm-mm. um like I said I'm sure now Sam Mendes wishes he didn't choose Kevin Spacey so originally Bruce Willis Kevin Costner and John Travolta were offered this which is terrible all of them were bad and also the role was offered the Chevy Chase which I want to go to the universe where Chevy Chase did not turn down American Beauty. <laughs> and it's Chevy Chase and Helen Hunt. <laughs> well, Helen Hunt might be good. Yeah. I mean, that betting's great in this, though. But, but uh, I love Helen Or, Hunt, or so. Holly Hunter. Like, Chevy Chase and Holly Hunter, I think, is like a better match. No, because I think, I think it's... Well, Holly Hunter had already had that like father of the bride like work, right? I think it's very important that he, that Lester be shorter than Carolyn. That's very important. Oh. Is Chevy Chase short? Chevy Chase is tall. Oh, okay. And, but Holly Hunter is short. So we'd have to go to the future and get Elizabeth Debicki and bring her back in time. and then. So who's the perfect person you had, were mentioning? Who's the perfect person to play Who do I, So it has, you're saying it has to be 1999? Let's or, try either way. Can I, can I just do who I, who I would have put yeah, in yeah. regardless? And you want short? He works. Jack Lemmon. Mm. Jack Lemmon would be good. Yep. Jack Lemmon is my, my perfect person for this an apartment era jack levin as lester i mean this movie is is so like they even mendy's and uh, and spacey watched lemon's performance in the apartment because they wanted to emulate it oh really yeah oh i didn't Um, know that but like even before i saw that i was kind of like when i when i saw american beauty the second time today i was like oh it's jack lemon like I, I now like I wasn't I was only like grumpy old men and my fellow Americans uh, really aware of Jack Lemon and Twelve Angry Men performances from Jack Lemon. Um, but now having seen more of his filmography, I'm like, yeah, that's that's Jack Lemon. I think, um, I think you could get from a modern perspective. I think you can get away with a melt away. Let's see, Nicholas Cage here. It's too- but it would have to be like it would have to be a leaving Las Vegas. No, I know. Or but no, I, I think, actually, it would have to be an adaptation esque Nicolas Cage. I think he's too charismatic. But I think he could be not super charismatic if you wanted to. But I think to. he's even charismatic in adaptation and leaving Las Vegas, though. That's my God. I'm trying to think of Jason Jason Biggs. Jason. <laughs> I'm trying to think of of who would be. Would be good in this. I don't know. Ah, oh, this is well. It's a weird gen- at like nineteen. It's a weird generation. So you're not going to get your Tom Cruises here. You're not going to get any of your. This era actually has a lot of. Um, Can we get Matthew Lillard? Can we get him? No, he's too young. Can we get Dave Foley. <laughs> Dave Foley, Phil Hartman. Imagine Dave Foley. No, I can't imagine Dave, Dave Foley and Annette Bening. All right, so let's just do this real quick, Mario. About the the two thousand. Ron Livingston. Ron Livingston. He could... But he's too young then. He's way too young then. But Ron Livingston, Peter Gallagher, just like two people, the same. The same That'd person. be great. Um, all right, so nineteen ninety nine Oscars. I feel like maybe we haven't touched on it before. Billy Crystal, t- no. Billy Crystal. 
Let's touch on. I'm, I'm stuck. I'm stuck on this a little bit now. So we're still in five best pictures. Yeah, uh, but I got it. It's it's a uh, it's most definitely Treat Williams. <laughs> how many not? times? How many times have I now suggested Treat Williams for films? Why not Eric Roberts? No, well, it could be Eric Roberts. Why not Tom Berenger? But I just always have to suggest Treat, Treat Williams. Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Really though, think about it. No, that'd be bad. Treat Williams. That'd be terrible. Treat Williams. Stinks. I mean, he's coming off the the high energy deep dramatic performance that is the Kevin J. O'Connor opus Deep Rising. Yeah. Hannah Jansen, you know, he's, he's living off that energy. He's sitting next to Hannah oh, Jansen. He's just a fireball. Remember See, I, imagine, I imagine at that point Treat Williams was like, you know, I wasn't as good as Famica Jansen. I wasn't as good as Kevin J. O'Connor. What am I going to do? I'm sure he was an anxious mess. mess. He... The Phantom Mario, had, had not done as well as it could have. Listen. He would have flowed right in there. He would have been the perfect... I'm sure he was probably chubby at this point because he probably ate a bunch of like raisinets or something because he was so disturbed. Treat Williams. I don't want to talk about Treat Williams. American Beauty. I really want to talk about the Famke Jansen reference. Don't you feel bad for Famke Jansen that she's like the one person from the original X-Men cast that did nothing? You got your James Marsdens, your Hugh Jackmans, your Halle Berry's, Patrick but, Stewart, Ian McKellen. But everyone's still like in love with Famica Jansen. But she's but she but, but all those people were able to turn in careers. Famica Jansen's doing something. But what's Famica, she doing? I mean, if she wants to be the guest speaker at my first annual Deep Rising film convention, she is. That's the thing we're planning. More than welcome. We've, we've got some clout now, folks. We're holding film conventions, and the film the just, film we talked we decided on is Deep Rising. You wouldn't want to do a Deep, deep Rising. Film. She was in the Taken movies. Is she the mom? Oh yeah, she's the mom in the Taken movies. Yeah, right? she dies. She's uh, she's got a she, yeah, she hasn't done much besides Taken. You're right. Wow. Okay. Anyway, all right. So uh, the seventy-two Oscars, seventy-second Oscars. Your best pictures are American Beauty, The Cider House Rules, The Green Mile. The Insider, The Sixth Sense. What are you putting there besides... Let's assume we're leaving The Sixth Sense Ameri- in American Beauty. I'm also leaving The Green and the Mile. Ins- oh, you're going to leave The Green Mile? Mm-hmm. Oh, see, I would put... I think Talented Mr. Ripley belongs in nope, here. I hate Talented Mr. Ripley. See, I think it's a great movie. I put Magnolia in there. I See, I think... I, the only reason I would, I'm not sure I would put Magnolia in there, because we could talk about this with Best Director, too. So Best Director is... I put Election in there just to look... Just to stare but at you. But you don't like Election! I know, but I put it in there just to look at you. Why? But you don't like it either. But just to look at your reaction when Election gets nominated for Best Picture. The fact that Election got nominated for anything blows my fucking mind. But Best Director, I think, is a more interesting category. Sam Mendes, American Beauty, uh, Lassie Halstrom for Cider House Rules. <laughs> I just like how we're always laughing. Michael about. Mann for uh, The Insider, M. Night Shyamalan for Sixth Sense, being John Mal- uh, or Spike Jones for being John Malkovich. Get Lassie Halstrom out of there and put in... I mean, I think today Kimberly Pierce gets nominated. For... For Boys Don't Cry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'd knock out Hostrom. I'd knock out N. Night Shyamalan. No, I think he's got to be there. I'd knock him out. I don't like. I don't think Sixth Sense is that great. I don't think it's that well-directed. I threw in I threw in a little Darabont. I, I don't know why you like The Green Mile. I thought Green the Mile's Green, great. I thought The Green Mile sucked from the moment I saw it. It's because you're wrong. But it's just so ham-fisted. Mm-hmm. But it feels like 1950s. I don't it's think so, it, it's like it feels like a set. cinema. It does. It feels so 1950. It's so like I guess classical. The only person from the, that movie I thought could, should be nominated for something is Sam Rockwell, but like you know, that's not gonna happen. Not Michael Jeter. No. 
Michael Jeter is good in that. Michael Jeter. What was that look about? What? But in well, Rockwell. Really quickly though. Speaking of supporting actors, holy fuck! Does, why does Michael Caine win? Michael Caine. Uh, I get from rid the of Rose, Tom I get Cruise. Rid of him. I keep Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise wins, as far as I'm concerned. There's no reason for Tom think, Cruise not to win for Magnolia. I think Cooper wins for me. Chris Cooper? Yeah. No. It's hard for me to pick Chris Cooper. October Sky. Here's a. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard for me to pick Chris Cooper knowing that he wins five years later. For adaptation. Right, right. You know what I mean? Four years like, later. Four years later. So I know he's going to win. We're doing this from like a. I was like, I was like five years later. We're doing this from a distance. Morgan Freeman wins five years later <laughs> for the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, uh, everyone, everyone loves Michael Clark Duncan for the Green Mile, Jude Law for the Talented Mr. Ripley, Haley Joel Osment for the Sixth Sense. I There's, knock out Haley Joel. Yep. I knock out Jude Law. Yep. I knock out Michael, Michael Caine. Dun- I keep Michael Clark Duncan. Oh my God, what is with you with the Green Mile? How is the <laughs> Green Mile not on your list? <laughs> I just like it a lot. This is making any sense. My my big. I throw I throw a little Christopher Walken on there. How is there no John Malkovich here? I throw John Malkovich on there. I throw Chris Cooper, so I replace it with Christopher Walken. <laughs> Don't do that, but I want to. I really want to. But I put Chris Cooper in there. Um, Christopher Walken for Joe Dirt. Is this a Joe Dirt year? No, I, I was just making a. I was making a uh, Sleepy Hollow. Okay. You're tying. You're tying it to your <laughs> previous mention of it. I also have a like, best supporting actors: Angelina Jolie, Tony Collette, Catherine Keener. Samantha Morton, the sweet and low down thing, I thought was I odd. I remember sweet and low down. It was uh, what was that Mike Nichols? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Cause Sean Penn got nominated for that also. Woody Allen, Woody Allen. So we were in, we were still in a Woody Allen phase of existence. Yeah, I get rid of that. I also we're, get rid of Angelina Jolie. I also get rid of Tony. Cl- I forgot Tony Collette was nominated for the, that year. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, uh, I, you know what? I keep I keep Tony Collette. She her performance in the in the car scene is. I don't mind Angelina Jolie either. I'm I not hate, sure I, she should win. Girl Interrupted fucking sucks. Girl Interrupted's not great. But I also don't think she's bad in Girl Interrupted. No, I just hate that movie so much that... James... James Mangold and me have a complicated relationship. We've Who wins... About, we've talked about this. Who should be our best supporting actress of 1999? I, I lean towards Keener. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of... All the films in 1999. Oh, shit. You know what I nominate for Best Picture that year? The Red Violin. That movie's Ugh. great. I mean, The Red Violin's fine. I think the fact that it wins score... I think that, honestly, I kind of think 1999 sucks as a year. It's a weird year. It's really weird. They didn't know what to do with it. Because how does The Matrix not get nominated for Best Picture? I mean, hell, I might even throw... Um, you know, I might throw in an actor in 1999. It would have never happened. I might, I might, I might throw in a little, uh, a little Ryo Ishibashi. Four. From from audition. Meh. I, I just think 1999 sucks. I don't from an Oscar people, standpoint, no, or from a film, from standpoint? a movie standpoint. I think 1999 is kind of garbage. 1999, I think was we like I don't understand I why people love this, 1999. Brian talk- Rafferty, this is Brian Rafferty's now least favorite episode. No, because I think he has the same questions about 1999. If anyone would We're listen, this moment of train. If everyone, would, if anyone would listen to our episode, which was uh, the audio on that is really terrible. Um, 1999 is a really weird movie. Things go in a <gasps> oh, really shit. weird direction. I nominate. I put Mummy in Best Picture. I do it. I, I do I do honestly do it. You think Mummy is a better movie than like I don't, any other movie? I don't give it best picture. 
I nominated for Mummy Avenger. stinks. You would be wrong. You're, this, you're on the wrong side of the river when it comes to this argument. Which river? <laughs> you should just say, like, the Nile. You don't... No. The Tigris, the Euphrates. It looks like you're... I got all the horses. Looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. Are you quoting the mummy from me? Yes! Why? How do you remember lines from that movie? Because that's what I... I'm a librarian. <laughs> I... Fucking love the. I give Stephen. I do it. I'm gonna oh, do it. Oh man, Stephen Summers and best director nomination. All right, let's wrap this up. No, this is over. I'm gonna convince you here. Ooh, Titus comes out comes out that year. I like Titus. I like a lot. Titus. The Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. The Judy Julie Taymor. I don't think Julie Taymor gets a nomination though. She's a little too. He was a little too close to the. What you'd expect from everything. I don't know. I don't think he gets the best director. I give it definitely best costume design. I give it best art direction. Uh, the over mummy over Sleepy Hollow. No, I'm talking about Titus. Oh, okay. No, I give mummy. I give mu- I, I I I give mummy visual effects because <laughs> I just want people to forget the Matrix existed. I just want people to be I give able. It, to, I want people that are listening to know that I've checked out. I give it. I give it. <laughs> I give it sound. Uh huh. I give it. I don't give it score. Red Violin winning score was not a good deal. I, I give that to Thomas Newman. Uh huh. I give it d- documentary feature. Do you mean the Mummy documentary feature? <laughs> yep. Okay. I give it best adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um. So best actress. Best for Rachel Vice. Yeah. Best supporting actor. For who? Uh, a tie between Arlo <laughs> Bosley and 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 Kevin J O'Connor. Kevin J. O'Connor needs an Oscar. Um, I don't think Kevin J. O'Connor does need an Oscar. I give it best actor for Kevin J. O'Connor again. First time ever. Somebody wins supporting right. and reviewing. Right. All right, all right. Steven right. Summers gets the director. And then best picture goes to Stuart Little. Okay. That's that's the end. That's the end of the officially the end of the podcast. <laughs> I just honestly I, I think this is a bad year. I don't love my, like I like audition. I kind of think of like other like really, 1999 movies that make an impact for me on this this year. I don't think anything has, right? Well, I'm thing. I'm okay with some of the movies that I like. Fight Club is what well, year is Rush, Rushmore is 98, right? 98, yeah. Fight Club is a very important movie for me, but I'm not saying that it should get nominated for best picture or director or whatever. Like maybe Edward, maybe I believed at the time that Edward Norton should get a best actor Spirit nomination. 2001. Yep. Yeah, I I am shocked by how little. I like 1999. That's weird. 1999 sucked. Jesus. Like, honestly, the movies I love from 1999 are American Beauty, Green Mile, The Mummy, Audition. Hey, when was the last time you saw The Mummy? Like, a year ago. And you liked it? I still love it. I fucking That's love so The Mummy. weird. It's the best, the second best, um... No, it's like it's like top ten action blockbuster for me. Really? Like a like summer blockbuster, yeah. So that's so, so odd. Have you seen the movie? Yeah, it's pretty bad. How? Like like can we do a like just can we do a, a special on nineteen ninety nine from a uh, from like a blockbuster movie? Like blockbuster movies in nineteen ninety nine or just like the mummy? Like I don't know action movies in nineteen ninety nine. Can we do that? Was the mummy an action movie? I mean, I, we could. I mean, it's an action horror film according to Wikipedia. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just so corny. It's it's got. I mean, Brendan Fraser is awful. You know, like 
I, and I, the special yeah. effects are actually pretty bad. I'm looking at 1999 film. I I think I maybe had maybe bad taste in 1999, but like, so what do I like in 1999? I like, yeah, like American Beauty, Insiders, okay. I like She's All That quite a bit. I hate well, Deep Blue Sea. I like Deep Blue Sea. Green Mile. Virgin Suicides is all right. All being John Malkovich. Eyes Wide Shut. Office Space. I mean, that's one of the weird things about the, the American Oscars. American Pie. That year is that... Um, Spirit of Echoes, I like that a lot. <laughs> one of the, the weird things the about... The Mummy. Oh, oh Blast from the Past! This was, a, this was a breakout year for Mr. Brendan Fraser. Oh my god, Mario. Brian Raftery is not going to like this. Forces of Nature, is that you're at? Oh, Chill Factor. That was the most disappointed I've ever been in a movie. I'm so excited for Chill Factor. Yeah. 1999 stinks. Yeah, I heard 1999. If you want to talk about I was gonna say, please wrap how 1999 up. doesn't stink, you can go fuck yourself because you're wrong. Bicentennial Man came out that year. Bicentennial Man is garbage. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Because if you're trying to make the argument that 1999 is good, you'd be wrong because Bicentennial Man came out that but year. But The Mummy also came out that year. The Mummy is terrible. But, but Mummy is not terrible. How many times... Does a fat man have a scarab crawl into his body in Bicentennial Man, and then he runs headlong? Well, why are you just like comparing it to Bicentennial Man? I don't like either of those movies. Um, I mean, the answer to your question is zero. Oh, Wishmaster Two came out that year. Oh, House on Haunted Hill—that's a good one. But if you also like House on Haunted Hill, if you want to talk about Jeffrey Rush's performance in House on Haunted Hill. And about how great the Marilyn Manson version of um, Sweet Dreams is for that movie. You can do that. That's from an album. That's not from that movie. I mean, it's used in it, though. It's from a record. But he uses it. They use it in that movie. Are we sure about that? Yeah. You you do the next part of this podcast. Uh, Or you can go to, or you can email us at Pivotal Film Podcast. You're right. I know I'm right. I was a big Marilyn Manson. I had a big Marilyn Manson thing. It's from Smells Like Children. I know it is from Smells Like Children, Mario. I just said I have a I had a big Marilyn Manson thing. Oh yeah. Then was it or was it not nominated for the MTV Video Music Award for Best Rock Video? What? The Sweet, Sweet Dreams. Dreams. I'm sure it was nominated because there's no way you come up with that <laughs> question on your Mario. I'm going to tell you something, okay? I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody else. I you, had, you like the mummy? I had two dossiers. One of them is reasons up. you like the mummy. No. I had two dossiers growing up that I hid in my room because I didn't know how I felt about having Oh, Beyond the Mats from 1999. Oh, I like Beyond the Mats. Yeah, that's a really good one. I get that best documentary. I had two dossiers. One was Thor Birch. From, like, American Beauty era to, like, post-Ghost World era, I, like, just collected articles about Thor Birch. That's a spoiler. You know who the other, <laughs> you know who the other person I collected articles on? Marilyn Kevin Manson. J. O'Connor? Marilyn Manson. Antichrist Superstar was one of the pivotal records of my existence. Marilyn Manson did the voices of something in some movie. Now I can't remember what it was. You know how you felt about like you felt about horror movies. I felt about Marilyn Manson. I like kind of couldn't process Marilyn Manson, and so I just kind of became obsessed with him and like collected articles about him and all this other stuff. 
Everyone, Mario found an article that supports his, his mummy theory. He's from gonna, the Thrillist. He will be posting it to our our our, this episode our Twitter. The um, mummy is the only perfect. Movie. I don't know if I did our, our email address. Go to pivotalfilmpodcast.com. Wait, no, you're talking about, I thought you were talking about your dossier. I thought there was more to say about this. No, just that I was obsessed oh. with Marilyn Manson. He does. He does. He's he's a new mutant. Has a voice apparently. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, probably bad for him. Um, or you can go to pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com or pivotalfilmpodcast.com pivotalfilm.fucking.com I haven't updated that website in a long time because I just keep I have like a million other things to do besides update the website but I will do it I promise your children's education doesn't matter that sometime much, I guess so um, teach them how to change a website That's, that can be an education <laughs> maybe it will maybe it will um, alright so next week we're doing 20 or we're doing 19 you want to redo 20 and take it all mummy references yeah yeah well, uh, we'll do 19, and we're going to do the movie I'm most looking forward to probably this year. Mulan. The new Charlie, yeah. We'll, do, we'll talk about Mulan, the new Charlie Coffin movie, uh, which is getting interesting reviews. Yeah, guys, just just let you know, we're probably not going to review Tenet, because I just don't fucking care. Well, I'm not, we're not going to see Tenet until it comes out Yeah, it's streaming. not, it's not going to drive through, which is like, wh- why? It's supposed to release in places... It's releasing in theaters here, but it's not in our drive through I'm going to be very honest with you. It's really weird to look at, like to look up a new movie and see that like it has showtimes at random theaters in Waterbury and in Milford. I don't know. Yeah, I just can't envision myself being trapped in a like a enclosed space with fifty people for like two hours. I do like this renting out theaters idea, though. It, and it's not that expensive if you can get a couple of people to do it. Like, I might, if that's still around in October, I might throw down, like, the 150 alone. For, but you'd be compelled to come, and you'd have to buy me popcorn or something. Sure. For what? To, for Candyman. You think it's going to play theatrically? If it, if it has to. Like, if it does play theatrically, like, I need to see that. It probably will. Probably will. All this other stuff is, unless there's a crisis someplace. Here's the thing, folks. And I, let's, we're going to end this podcast at, uh, here right after this. We're not going backwards. So all the movie theaters that have just opened in all the states that they've opened in are not closing. They're just not going to do it. No. So you just have to make a choice whether or not you feel comfortable going into a movie theater with a bunch of random people and watching a movie or not. I'm not comfortable with it. You're not comfortable with it. So we're probably not going to do it. Renting a theater is an option for us. Can you rent a theater and play one of the movies that's released theatrically, though? Is that, is that an yeah. option? Yeah. It is? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think you have to jump on it because I think a lot of people are doing it. Like, when I checked for Tenet, there was a lot of sold out. Like, you, there were a lot of times that were not, that was not available for. Got it. Um, so, I think it's just, I think it's acting like anything else. Where they are, like, showing movies. Like, you can pay, buy a ticket to see a movie with a bunch of random people. Or... Maybe two screens per theater. They're doing these pay money, pay hundred fifty dollars, and you could watch your own goddamn movie by yourself in a theater. I don't know. I don't know. I do that for Candyman. I think. We'll see. We'll split it. Five dollars each. I could probably get like five other people to watch Candyman. I was saying we should get like we should definitely get all the. We, we should, could we could get JP to watch. Candyman. We get JP and Chris, and we can have like a the only other two people that have been on the podcast watching Candyman and reviewing it. 
Hey, Chris probably would want to watch Candyman. Yeah. Yeah. And JP would say, like, none of heads came off of that movie. And we would just be like, oh, the characters are great. And he'd just be like, fuck you guys. You'd probably like it because, yeah, well, it depends if it's traditional horror or not. So. Yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, watch. I'm thinking of ending things. I'm thinking of ending things. Or Mulan. Or Mulan. Uh, or something else is our tenant, I guess, safely. Do whatever you want to do with Tenet, man. I don't think. It, I mean, I think the thing with Tenet is that nobody cares. Who cares? Who fucking cares? Drink it, beer. Yeah, drink beer. That's the most important thing. Or whiskey. Drink whatever you want. Whiskey looks like milk. Drink whatever you gotta do. Drink. Not Lysol. Don't drink Lysol. Not Lysol. Or a hydrochloroquine. Yeah. And haha, Joe Candy lost Marky. I'll talk to you next week.